0: Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable.
1: We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun dun! dun.
0: Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU
1: podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And we talk SVU, we talk crimes, we have celeb guests. But first, we chit chat. What's up? What just happened? Is up, girl.
0: Well, you and I just got back from a very fun first. I'm (laughs) I'm still out on the road. You're still on the road. Well, I mean, I'm back. Because yeah. the, at the TMU part of it's over. Yeah, You're still yeah, doing yeah. some stand-up. But we just got back from a fun first leg of our tour. We're so excited. It went really great. Everybody was so awesome. We had—I am- had a great time. Like, we loved seeing everybody in the Carolin- in North Carolina. And uh, where the fuck else were we? Nashville was a great show. Well, like, we do have one DC. thing to say
1: about Nashville. You guys— we saw a line, like, 20, 30 people deep trying <laughs> to take photos next to angel wings painted on the side of a wall. What? I, I, it's what? so crazy to me. I know it's for social
0: media and whatever. We're all ill with our sens- our social media. But, like, in L.A., there's, like, 90 of those angel wings everywhere. You can, like, take them, take a picture of them anywhere. And so it was weird that there was just, like, one set that every- that are famous that everybody wanted to go to.
1: Um, but people were also doing it wrong. Like, seven people posed yeah. in front of the wings. And it's like, no, the whole point is, like, one person stands and it looks like their wings. So, like, seven of you just wanted to be near the wings? <laughs> not even an optical illusion? Like, And I, I guess just... if you're
0: from Nashville, tell us that, like like, Taylor Swift painted those wings. Or tell us, like, the reason why those wings are so important. But, like, I could not figure it out. It just seemed like you know, Instagram art on the well, wall. Well, because
1: we went, um, so we were in the gulch area and we went to brunch and it was super fun. And then we saw, but there were a lot like our we we got a hookup, but there were giant ass lines to get yeah. into brunch. So when we see this big line, we're like, oh, I wonder what restaurant that is. And then it was like, oh they're taking photos <laughs> wrong next to painted wings. <laughs> I it it was upsetting to see. It was weird for sure. Yeah, but someone just posted on their stories like, "I spilled my drink trying to take a photo of it." The internet is fucked. Like we're fucked. <laughs> like we are so fucked. Like nothing has happened unless you posted or something. It's I I just yeah. It rubbed us the wrong way.
0: Well. Listen, if you want to hear all this and more live, come see our tour. We are going out again in a couple of weeks. In November, we're going to be in the Midwest. So come see us at Zany's Rosemont on November 13th because unfortunately, our I mean, fortunately, because we love the everybody that bought tickets, but the Chicago show at Zany's Downtown is sold out. So head out to the suburbs and see us in Rosemont on the 13th. It'll be so fun. It's like a nice big space. I really like that club. It'll be fun. Um, and then Indianapolis will be there on the 15th. We'll be in Columbus on the 16th. We'll be in Cleveland on the 17th, Detroit on the 18th, and Madison, Wisconsin on the 20th. And I think you can even see us do stand up both in Detroit and Madison. So, well, you'll see me opening for Lisa in Detroit and then Lisa solo in Madison doing great stuff with other great openers. And, um, So if you guys are interested, that's MessedUpLive.com. Get tickets, please. We love meeting all of you, seeing all of you. We're selling tour-only merch. You can only get it on the tour. And, um, you know, we just love meeting all of you guys and doing live shows. And we pick really wild, fun episodes to do that are not based on crimes. So we get to talk about some of your faves. What else, Lisa? I mean, we also,
1: even though the shows are incredible, meeting everyone's incredible, like, was there a flat tire? Yes. (laughs) Was there a rented out vehicle not checked in by the company, but we had to get another car in another city? Yes. Were hotel rooms not, our names not put under the room? Like, (laughs) honestly, you know, did we have a tech guy in one of these locations that truly... I sent a formal complaint about. <laughs> uh, but like, so it is, um, it's just really funny. And what I think about is this quote that it might be like a fake thing where people think Marilyn Monroe said a bunch of stuff and she hasn't. Yeah, yeah, But it said yeah. that Cher said, I'm only difficult if you're an idiot. And <laughs> um, I, I want that tattooed on my body. Like truly, that's how I feel <laughs> now. Oh my God. If this That's is difficult so for you, you're dumb. I don't know what <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> yeah, we're not so tough. Um, no, but obviously we had, so, you know, so much fun. Um, but I thought I would just, you know, sprinkle yeah. in that. Sprinkle no, in a we little. had fun. And then I wrote here Halloween candy murder screenshot. And I wish
0: I knew what that was. I can't wait for Halloween. I mean, I'm alone with my kids this weekend as a punishment for going out of town for nine days. No, just kidding. <laughs> just my husband's going out of town, so I'm going. I'm going to be alone taking them to 90 Halloween parties uh, coming up. So that's fun. Um, but what what do you think that means? Your screenshot Halloween
1: candy murder. I don't know. I have no idea. Oh. Is it like all those memes where people put things into the candy?
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking you were talking about when this woman goes with this amazing account that I follow. I think it's Matt XIV or whatever was like, oh my God, please check your children's candy. I just opened mine up and found a drag queen story hour in my son's snicker. And it's like, it's so funny because it's like a snickers broken open with like a drag queen reading inside
1: and it's so good. Yeah, that's um, got to be it. I'm not really sure, but um what you said you had something to tell me. Oh, well this is so funny because I was just looking
0: on um you know we use a lot of the Wikipedia the the law and order Wikipedia like the fandom just to look at. uh, We do some of our own research too based on what stuff's based on, but I use this all the time. And I wanted to see what the most current episode, if they were going to say it was Ariel Castro again, because the show's already done Ariel Castro, if it was something different. And they don't even actually have it listed yet, episode four. But episode three, did you watch that episode yet? It's like the two celebrities of this current season. Yeah, yeah. That are in like a tumultuous relationship or whatever. So it's definitely based on Amber Heard Johnny Depp for sure. And then Shia LaBeouf, they said maybe it's based on his lawsuit with FKA Twigs. Okay, sure, I'll buy that. The third Brit- the third bullet point says the public harassment of former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson during the Platinum Jubilee of Elizabeth II. What? I don't think SVU wrote an episode at all about Boris Boris Johnson. Jubilee is a really fun word, though. It sure is. It's
1: like one of my favorite words.
0: I lived in Rome during like the Catholic Jubilee because I lived there in the year 2000. And I think that's like when they happen every... Hundred years or something, but the it was like a huge like millennial jubilee because it was the year two thousand, and so it's where all these nuns and Catholic people like all come to Rome. So the city's like really spruced up, and they're offering like you know extra. Nothing makes jubilee
1: sound sad than putting a Catholic in front of it. I know, (laughs) I know. Well, the Platinum
0: Jubilee of Elizabeth the Second, I don't think was fun either. I think it was an old lady run, like parading through the streets days before she died. Um, yeah, they but, need to
1: stop it. Jubilee means party or cherries <laughs> Jubilee, right? Like an ice cream flavor. Wait, you opened for Bob the Drag Queen. Do you have anything to say? I did. It
0: was amazing. Um, I In Huntsville, Alabama, I opened for Bob the Drag Queen for two days because Lisa was not able to. Can we now talk about it? We haven't talked about it. Oh, we haven't, really? No, we have not talked about this. We posted it on our Instagram, but I would like to formally brag on behalf of my co-host, Lisa Traeger, who has been cast in a Netflix show starring Michelle Buteau, Survival of the Thickest. That's the reason we had to switch around some of our tour dates. Thank you for being understanding while Lisa becomes a famous Hollywood celebrity.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun. And I'm clapping. My, Casey, um, can you put a, a clapping um, sound <laughs> effect in there, please? It's been really fun. I love being on a set. And everyone is really talented and experienced and accomplished. And it's been fun being around everyone. And I do have a really, really cute little co-star in this show, but I will not reveal it yet. Oh, okay. That's
0: That's a tune-in. That's a tune-in message right there. You guys all have to watch when it comes out in the spring sometime. We will definitely be promoting it. But because Lisa... Yeah, and I
1: got my scenes for these upcoming, and they are so good. I don't know. I think your character
0: sounds like it's going to be wild and maybe like a little bit of a scene stealer. I'm excited. What's
1: really cool is like a few friends um, that I've told about this auditioned for it. And I guess and Edinburgh Marsh just said like everyone was auditioning. But everyone that had heard was like, ugh, that makes sense. You're perfect (laughs) for this. And like when I walked into the set of the character's apartment I own multiple things in the apartment. I mean she's worse than me as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um but yeah, we're um, yeah, it's really, really exciting. It's a lot of um, high-class things we got going on. Yeah, well, since Lisa
0: couldn't open for Bob, I got to open for Bob and I was happy to do that. And I had a blast. We had so much fun. We went to, after both shows, we went to the Gay Bar in Huntsville, Alabama. And one night we did karaoke and another night we did trivia. And it was so fun. I mean, I had a great time. And I don't really think I have any other tea about that. It was just Bob's awesome <laughs> and like so funny and professional. He kept going clink, 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 and like hitting glasses.
2: That's cute. Um,
0: yeah. But I also thank you to the many Boston listeners who told us that, that when I told that story about Clink the bar, that it's because it used to be a jail. I should definitely go check it out oh, next time I'm there. Oh, it,
1: look That at makes a lot of sense. That was Coming a through lot of sense. with the yeah. clink, clink. I clank, also clank. wanted to do a shout out. To um, Garcelle Bouvet, who's also in this Netflix show. <laughs> I have and not Michelle met her Vass- yet. Yeah. We well, have not met yet either. I did meet Peppermint, which was thrilling. But uh, did you, you, you're caught up on Bravo. Did you watch The Real Housewives reunion too? Or no, not yet. Yes.
0: Caught up, caught up, caught up.
1: I mean, I'm, I've been a Kyle apologist for this whole time. And I'm always like, yeah, but I'd want to hang at her house. Fuck Kyle. I am no longer on her side in any capacity. No wonder your sisters don't want to fucking talk to you. There's a reason you're not invited to your family events, and go fuck yourself. And any for me, it's Team Garcelle all the way, and I'm disgusted by the rest of the ladies. Andy apologized this week to his treatment of Garcelle too, because hopefully he realized he it. He did. He had to. How do you not apologize? Garcelle is talking about her near run-in with Bill Cosby, who tried to fucking slip her a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's talking about her book, and we're talking about her son, and it's all about Lisa Renna and recycling and this and that. And they zoomed on Garcelle's face, and she just looked... So hurt. And yeah, fuck all of them. Fuck all of them. You are all racist. You are all racist. You can they can all deny it. Garcelle can say they're not racist. But if this happened to another 14-year-old child that was not a black child, there's no way they would be treating the situation of the online trolls this kind of casually and telling Garcelle how she should act or not when someone said horrific things.
0: No, it's very shitty. And I honestly could be, I, I you could restart the whole show just around Garcelle. And I guess maybe they'd keep Sutton because they're close. But like, you could restart the whole cast around Garcelle and I would watch. Like, she's, she's a top tier housewife to me. And she should not have been fucking treated that way. Here's what I will say about those bots. I think a fan bought those, to be honest. I don't think Diana's smart enough to do that. Diana doesn't have fans. No, no, no. Uh, just regular fan, a racist fan of the show. Like, you know, just like, to cause chaos and be psycho. I just don't think Diana's smart enough for that shit, to be honest. Or employs anyone smart
1: enough, really. Like I yeah, don't know. Yeah, but if she's also like a human trafficker, like they've accused her of, then who knows what she's capable. Wait, is I didn't capable. even know about that. Fuck. Are we getting into SVU territory now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you know that book she had. People claim that that book is actually a catalog for oh, people you can have sex right. with. Right and pay for. And I also just, it bothers me when people act so snooty and rich and entitled when it's like, you married into that money. Yeah, you did yeah, not, yeah. like, you know, it bo- Yolanda was like this too, where it's like, oh, oh, oh. And it's like, you're, tra- you're a grifter. You're a sexy grifter who grifts <laughs> her way into rich grifter. men's lives. Like, I don't know why you're acting like you're classy. I think Sexy Grifter
0: might be merch. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) That's a great idea. A tank top that says Sexy
1: Grifter. Give it to me. (laughs) Yeah, I would love that. (laughs) I'll take it. No, but I also, with the Diana thing, where they're like, they're trying to say that evil is a worse word than the C word. And this is an old Mulaney joke, but it's like, how about the word you can't even say out loud? It's yeah. probably yeah. the worst word. <laughs> Them all saying they'd re- that it's worse to be called evil than cunt. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild. You can't, you're can't. you not even saying cunt. You're saying the C word. Right. I, they. I just... And Sutton's a... Apos- but I heard Garcelle had, like, huge... And I heard it because I watched all the BravoCon stuff. But everyone was team Garcelle. Everyone was shouting for her. And I think this Lisa... I, I hope Lisa... I can't wait for part three. I mean... I think Bravo's it's Bravo's in a renaissance. We have like Salt Lake, Beverly Hills, Potomac, Winterhouse, Southern, all together. It's like yeah. a real e- high
0: Yeah. Everything's point. running on all cylinders over at Bravo for sure. I will say the problem with fucking Kyle and always has been a problem with her and a lot of the women on Beverly Hills, but doesn't seem to be a problem for Garcelle is that they hide shit. They do not say things. Everything feels like... Uh, uh, there's something, you know, the thing I told you that we can't say on camera. You know what I mean? Like everything feels like Kyle is like, it's like, Kyle, if you have shit about Kathy or or whatever, just fucking say it on the show. Why are you here if you don't say it on the show? Because then you're the one sitting there going, that's why we come on this show to do our lives. Say it, say it, say it. And then like, she never says anything, you know? Well, not
1: only that, I saw this online where it's like, she's so mad that Crystal won't say what Sutton said, but Lisa Renna's is not saying what Kathy said. Why is that not a problem? I will say,
0: though, that I think that Crystal, I think what our friend Julia thinks is that Crystal's protecting Sutton and that she does have a specific thing and she's not saying it. So fine, I'm fine to let her do that. And I think that... uh, Rena has said a couple of things. She said, Jarit's a useless idiot. She said, I'll ruin Bravo and take Kyle down and her whole family and Bravo. I mean, she's given a couple specifics, right? Yeah.
1: But... But it's I, I, also, like, you're acting like you care about your sister and you're letting Renna do all this. Like, cut Renna out. Slam her down. Like, why is your aggression towards Crystal and not towards Lisa Renna? Yeah. Who is destroying your relationship with your sister, apparently. Well, I think that she has a fucked up relationship with her sister, and that's why.
0: Like, I love my sister so much. Like, if my sister— if If— Rina came in and said, your sister had a full breakdown. I would like walk off and be like, we're not doing this on camera. Like I would just be like, we're not doing this. And instead she goes, guys, I feel kind of uncomfortable. Can we stop? Like it's so mealy mouthed, all of it. And if it was, if you really loved your sister, but I think that the truth is what she said to Erica was, I'm glad the world is seeing what's up with Kathy now. I'm glad that people are seeing, and that's it. That's why she's not going after Rinna. She wants people to see my sister Kim is an alcoholic who's abusive to me. My sister Kathy is a power hungry hungry freak who's abusive to me. She wants everyone to see it and so she can be Kyle the victim. But it's like the way she's going about it looks so slimy and like, yeah, I'm done with, with her. I think that, but I don't know. Andy probably won't get rid of her, but.
1: No, because people like her, but it is like Erica is a full blown piece of shit. And we're all pretending everything's fine and taking all this aggression out on the not-white people. It's weird. It yeah. is fucking weird. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just bothers me. And even the fans online are like, why does everything have to be turned to race? It's not race. And Lisa Ren is like, oh, I can't go after Garcella. it's like, but you are. These microaggressions. like, you are. There's no way you would treat jacks the way you're treating him, if he was, like, not a Black child. It really... Yeah. It's, oh, completely.
0: <sighs> no, there's, like, a there's like a phenomenon or, like, an epidemic of, like, Black boys get treated older, you know? And that's, like, yeah. you never would have said that to, like, I know Jagger's much younger, but, like, if Jagger was 12 or 14 at a party, you would never we say, get Portia. the fuck out of here, you know?
1: Can you imagine if any of this was about Portia, Kyle's daughter? Like...
0: Oh, Portia, yes. When you first said that, I was like, Portia Williams? Yes. <sighs> oh, my God. If Portia was at, a, like, a party and came out to get flowers and someone goes, get the fuck
1: out of here, Kyle would lose her goddamn mind. And it would be warranted. And here we're just like, why don't you protect it? Why don't you do that? It's like, it's ridiculous. I'm on the schedule. We I'm to... S- well, I'm supposed to hopefully I meet Garcelle soon and I will have something to say to you guys. We might have to wait till the premiere, but... You just,
0: when you meet her, (laughs) should just be like, I'm team you all the way, like...
1: (laughs) Well, because it's funny because the hair and makeup and everyone said that, like, she finished BravoCon and went straight to work on this show and um, that she was telling the ladies, like, I didn't realize... This was such a big deal. Like, I think she was uh, didn't realize how many people would show up to BravoCon and cheer for her. Like, I think she was surprised by the fandom, which is shocking to me. This but- <laughs> also
0: feels like this year, BravoCon, like, turned. Like, this was a year that BravoCon, like, everybody was posting about it. I mean, obviously, we had pandemic. I don't know, like, that they even did it last year, but they did it other years, and it felt like, oh, that's a cute thing to go to if you want, and you can, like, get autographs or whatever. But, like, now it's like people are doing panels and revealing shit and they're dropping announcements about casts and there's all these like, you can be in like a video where you're on a below deck ship, like all these like installations and BravoCon just feels like it like took it, it stepped its pussy up this year. Yeah,
1: it you know, stepped its pussy up. But um, we are not a Bravo podcast and I do think we have to start our episode. <laughs> I do. I also wanted to say that we did go to cookout um, in the South and... Kara's not impressed. We Guys, were not it just, both. it wasn't it was for fine.
0: me. Was I asked fine. for a quesadilla. They did put chicken in it, so I couldn't eat it. Um, I did really like the quesadilla sauce. That's got a kick. Uh, But I was like, this is good fried food. It wasn't really blowing my mind. And my milkshake was like cement that would not come through the straw. And I was eating it like ice cream. And I stopped halfway because I was like, this st- isn't even very good ice cream. So I'm sorry. I don't want to be a snob or anything. I just, um... I think I'm going to stick with Taco Bell and Burger King. Those are my two
1: mains. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we couldn't even get Taco Bell because in Atlanta, the line was like 40 cars deep. It It was really wild. Okay, Casey's
0: about to throw up six more flags. We have to go. (laughs) But um, we have a
1: great episode for you guys. Here it is. (music) Okay. So today's episode is Bullseye season 12 episode 2. What does Bullseye make you think of? Archery? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> darts. I wonder yeah, if anyone d- thinks of anything else. All right. We're here. We're at a we're bodega. We're here. We're doing Bullseye. We're at we're a ready. bodega. Um there's a woman stocking shelves and she's digging in a box, but also the shelves are fully stocked. Like <laughs> where is she putting the, the contents of this box? It is a tight bodega, very... Uh,
0: but you know, if anybody can fit more in, it's a bodega. Like bodegas are like,
1: there's like toilet paper up to the ceiling. I mean, they're really doing it. They are doing it. Um, So she's stocking the shelves and she's bent over and a man is approaching her and purposely is getting super close and then thrusts his dick onto her. And she jumps and turns around and he's like, oh, didn't see you there. Sorry. And she's like, third time this week. And then he grabs her really hard. I was taken aback. This is like too soon. This is where I don't like this. And (laughs) says, you don't want to be a bitch to me. And she says, let go of me, Dennis. And the fact that his name is Dennis, it it really ups this to... A more horrific level, I would say. Um, Do
0: you know my Uncle Dennis,
1: at my brother's wedding, introduced
0: himself to, like, three of my siblings when we've known him our entire lives?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like,
0: he was like, hello, Dennis, and said his last name. We were like, what? Like, we've (laughs) known you
1: forever. Did you you call him out?
0: I don't think so. I don't even think it's a— I don't even— As far as I know, there's no, like— you know, dementia or anything going on. It was just like he's a little bit weird. I don't know. He's just trying to shade you guys. Like he's <laughs> yeah, did it he's on like, purpose. Sorry, you're maybe he has prosopagnosia, face blindness.
1: <sighs> that reminds me of the Sex in the City scene where Carrie's really disturbed this woman is giving her dirty looks. And Charlotte goes, maybe it's Bell's palsy. And Carrie, <laughs> and Carrie has to go. It's not Bell's palsy. Um, whatever. So fuck Dennis. Um, and he looks aggressive. I did look him up. Uh, he's been working. He's been in a lot of Amy Schumer vehicles. Train wreck inside Amy Schumer and Life and Beth. Oh, maybe he's part of her theater collective. Maybe. Yeah. And his she gives a lot of her the old like theater friends work. And his name is Rock. R O C K. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So then she goes, there's a customer and we see a kid walk in and he says that him and the boss are tight. And she's like, well, if I tell the boss you let people eat the merchandise and it's like, don't narc on this kid. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a rock and a hard place. It's like be sexually harassed or, you know, give up this homeless kid or something that needs to (laughs) eat. And so he turns around and starts yelling at this kid, put that back in here. You pay first and then you eat. And that's not unique to your store. I like how he was like, <laughs> in here you pay. In here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone knows how that works um so he grabs her to turn her around and she looks stunned and super scared and she's breathing deep and you can tell there's shock in her eyes I wonder if in his head he's like maybe I'll just let her eat this like um and then he's extra shocked because she has blood going down her leg um but she's scared sweaty and crying cut to the hospital And we have the doctor that is 100% Baywatch surfer vibes. (laughs) This Uh, one. Yeah, very eligible bachelor. Like if there was like, uh, you know, a New York Magazine's like 100 most eligible bachelors, I feel like he would be one of them. Um, And he says uh, there's intense vaginal trauma. Not good. Um, Hematoma in both wrists, probably from being held down. She's 10 years old. Benson asks rape kit. They go, not yet. They just got the blood to stop. So this is pretty dramatic. He also tells Benson and Stabler that she's dehydrated, malnourished, and her arm is limited mobility, so he thinks that was a break that just wasn't treated. So this kid is really um, not being paid attention to in any way. And they look through the blinds to see the patient in the room, the detectives, and he says, good luck finding who did this because she won't say a word. And then it's like, okay. They haven't met Olivia Benson. Yeah, you obviously haven't met the child whisperer. So she walks in. She goes, I'm Olivia. This is Elliot. We're police officers. Um, But she's hoping that, you know, tell us what happened to you before you got to the store and maybe that'll make you feel better. And she is visibly stressed by that and starts shifting away. And he asks if someone said, like, not to talk to people and that something bad would happen um, because he goes, that's not true. And if this girl looks familiar to you, and you watch Nurse Jackie, this is Grace, one of Edie Falco's daughters in that show. Oh my God, I love Grace too. Like she was the one that
0: had like anxiety and like that was a cool storyline I thought for like this to show like little kid having anxiety. I just felt like I hadn't seen that. Like she just had like generalized anxiety and was always like doing kind of weird stuff that like was a manifestation of her um, anxiety and I, I like that her character a lot and she was a great kid actor
1: um yeah She's I don't remember this, that storyline at all I don't really remember that show outside of her doing drugs and fucking that pharmacist So Benson is like, um, I bet you have such a pretty name. Let me know it. I'm sure your parents are worried sick about you. And then the nurse rolls in a cart of supplies and says, it's it's time to start the kit. And the girl sees the camera and she flips the fuck out. And Benson says, what's up? And she cries and says, he took pictures of me. Benson looks concerned. Elliot makes a face that conveys like, damn, the world is so evil. And then the credits. We Oof. open back up on a photo of the girl and Cragen's voice saying, your little victim, which sounds off to me. I don't, I don't, I don't think he would be saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot's like, I mean, Benson turned on all her charm and nothing. This kid said nothing, even with, the, you know, Olivia giving it at her all. But Benson's like, this motherfucker, he took pictures of her while he raped her. But there's no fluids or fibers in the rape kit, so this is gonna be a tough investigation. And she doesn't match any girl's missing persons and Cragen asks what kind of parents don't report their kid missing and Stabler goes one that keeps her locked away all fucking night I think it's the dad doing this and Cragen and where did that come from but um, Cragen's like okay let's slow down there I'm with him let's ID the girl Benson says well we can't release it to the media because then the perp is gonna run for the hills Elliot says well the bleeding girl couldn't get that far without someone noticing her so let's you know let's see if she lives close to the market Cragen goes maybe the census data can help help us. And now they have a census data feature on their computer and they type in female 10 white and it's searching and it finds dozens and dozens of kids. So they grab Finn and Munch and hit the streets and they go talk to the neighborhood. And we hear a lot of no, 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 no. One of the no's is a fun gay man whose husband is away dropping their daughter at summer camp. (laughs) I loved it. And the whole time he's talking, he's holding a giant guinea pig. I have never seen a (laughs) guinea pig this big. It is so big and so... It makes me like guinea pigs. Because I don't... I think they're irrelevant. Like, do they even exist anymore?
0: Oh, yeah. People love those things. They're all over TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff. Oh, really? Well, I'm like... I'm like showing... When Oscar's having a real meltdown, I'm showing him baby animal pictures because he really loves looking at like little videos of like goats and like little cows. And, you know, there's all kinds of baby animal photos. And there's a lot of accounts that have like millions of followers. And the guinea pigs are, are in there. They are working. The guinea pigs, the hedgehogs, they're in there
1: working. Well, yeah, the hedgehogs. I'm glad <laughs> I mean, the guinea pigs, because I, I thought maybe only kids have them, because I haven't seen a guinea pig since childhood. So I didn't know if they were just, like, not cool anymore. But this one was giant and fuzzy, and I loved it. And yeah. I'm glad they're on TikTok. That's good. You know what's having a moment on TikTok or the internet? I, sloths. Oh,
0: but sloths have been having a really big moment for like five years. Like when I had Rosie three and a half years ago, I got three sloth loveys. Like sloths were like having a big, they're so cute. Like, you know, and like there's a sloth characters in you, Zootopia, like, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, the DMV. Sloths are (laughs) the DMV. Oh my god! But their claws are so big. Are they dangerous or are they slow? Like That's I keep a great question. I keep seeing people. The, the the things I'm seeing are like people handing their babies to like they lose a little baby sloth, and so they reunite. They like give you've not seen it. So then they show the mom sloth, the baby sloth, and it's like. The mom gets so excited. Oh, and then that they, needs to be on the baby animal sites <laughs> I'm on. What the hell? Yeah. And so I've seen a couple videos like that where people will like pick up the kid and give it back to the sloth. And the sloth oh does look happy, but their talent, like if I see a sloth in the wild, can I approach or am I going to get. Yeah, but how fast do they even
0: swipe? Is it just like a slow dragging?
1: Okay. Sloths who become agitated or feel threatened may use their teeth or long nails to cause pain.
0: Okay. So I would not agitate that little sloth.
1: But and I don't want to agitate, but what if I gave it a celery stalk? You know what I mean? I'm sure if you come bearing food, it's not going to swipe at I, you. I, I'm sorry. I, there's so many tangents. We're only in Acts 1. But so when I was in Australia, we got to... Me, koalas. That's like what you do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we went to this animal place and then we're waiting in line and we're with the group and they're giving us instructions. They're like, don't shake the tree. Don't make this. Don't make that. Like all these things. And then the koala was right there and we could have taken photos right next to the koala. And then this dumb bitch woman and her kid are like, Shaking the tree, being loud, being noisy. And so the koala climbed up. And so all of our photos are like from below and the koalas above us. But also these bitches were Australian. And it's like, you can come here all the time. I know, we came from (laughs) across the fucking planet. Like, let us be near it. And it's like, you broke every rule. And I I wish I I punched them in the face, honestly. Like we were, the. it was Emily Heller was there too. So, you know, we were like pissed together.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <sighs> oh um, my God, that's awful. Sh- well, Oscar's been saying koala lately. He says koala. That's okay. Well, well, I told you one of our friends was so wasted that they couldn't guess koala on the heads up game. <laughs> Which is that's simple. so easy. It's so easy. So I'm very into the skinny pig, obviously. We've we went on a tangent that took us to a lot of places Uh, but Munch is not impressed and Munch is like people eat those in Peru and then he walks away so there's a kids club and they go to this kids club no one recognizes this girl they go to a pizza shop can't ID her but the pizza guy is passionate and he's like fuck man I wish I could help you and he goes (laughs) ask Gina and Gina's holding the pizza delivery pouch so she's out in them streets Um, and so she says she's seen this girl lots of times she's always in the doorway when Gina delivers a pie to her folks, but never says anything. And she knows the address and the apartment number off the top of her head. And she says she's sure the girl lives there. And I boy don't even too. like know
0: my sister's address and apartment number off the top of my
1: head. Like it's, that's wild. Well, I was actually just thinking this because like now we have postmates, so they don't remember like it's always someone different. Yeah. But if you ordered a pizza, let's say once a week, every yeah, week yeah. for three years. Maybe they'd know, yeah, yeah. Like Friday night pizza night, like you're gonna you're always kinda... doing it. Yeah,
0: you're right. Like if it's the local spot, olden times when you have the same delivery person, yeah,
1: yeah. Or because even um, the episode we did Alta Cocker's, where he's like, oh, the the deli delivery guy did this for me. You know, it yeah. was like you had some sort of relationship with these people, right? And now they now. Now they leave the food outside the door or on the floor. And it's like, I feel like a little raccoon. I just, am I like, know.
0: <laughs>
1: scurrying Going out and grabbing grab it. Going grab your garbage. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. I think I said this on the pod a long time ago. When I was staying with Julia and Lane, I opened it and I was topless. And the guy was still there taking a photo that he, to prove that he <laughs> delivered the food. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't like being fully clothed. Like, I need either the top or the bottom. What if he sent you
0: the photo, though? What if he, like, <laughs> sent you the photo? It's like you tits out with, like, a bag of food on the ground.
1: And is like, your delivery's here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, oh, but uh, this girl says a boy lives there, too, that she's heard his voice. So we arrive at Jeff and Amber Samansky's house on East 28th Street. And it's September 1st, so they found her right be on after my birthday which
0: doesn't really make sense if the guy was taking his daughter to summer camp but go on oh my god i immediately thought oh okay so it's like june because of camp camp starts in june or if you go mid-session it starts in july but it doesn't start september oh my god they should have said pick up from summer camp and even then august 31st is late to be at camp (laughs)
1: that's such I love finding date plot holes (laughs) well or any plot holes because this is such a meticulous like all our guests say well-oiled machine yeah that when we're able to like finagle in I know that we have a true problem a true, true problem. Um, So NYPD, open up, yells Stabler. Uh, Benson leans to the door and says, she can hear the TV, let's go. We know you're home. We hear, daddy, no, stop. And so they kick down the door, enter guns first. They yell and nobody is reacting. Now we can hear their voices and it's like they're not hiding or pretending to not be home. They're fully chit-chatting like the cops didn't just kick their door. And we walk in finally and it's a couple playing video games and it's a snow-filled land with gothic leather freaks fighting dragons so that's the game <laughs> if that, if we have any gamers out there that know what game this is based on or anything um the woman says hold on caleb mommy's coming and they keep playing and they look um like slobs okay greasy yeah. vibes they um, have
0: not showered in a minute
1: <laughs> yeah and he looked familiar and it's because i recently rewatched downloaded childs and we covered that and he played megan fahey's like um husband ex-husband who would rape her but, oh yes, who like admitted to marital rape? Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God. And so, two episodes and both times playing a fucking slob, um, which is interesting. But also, did you watch the White Lotus season two trailer? No. Our girl Megan Fahey is in the oh, trailer. Oh yes, I know she's in it. She's I know in know the, she's the in trailer. The show. Yeah, like <gasps> she has like two, three scenes in the trailer. Oh, I'm excited for her. And she looks gorgeous. And like the whole, I just, oh my God, I cannot wait. I cannot yes. wait. Uh, I'm so excited. Okay. Um, so I just love television. Did you watch, there was a video clip of Diane Keaton on Oprah. It was like the first. Oh, live and she goes, I just love to watch my TV. I like to watch the television. And everyone's (laughs) shitting on her. And I'm like, thank God for Diane Keaton. Yeah, I love watching TV. I'm not ashamed. Get away from me. I feel like she's laughing so hard and she's just like unabashedly like, yes, TV is my hobby. That's what I do. And I was like, girl, yes. Yes, stop shaming me, bitch. And I feel like I'm outside enough. I get to watch as much TV as I want. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Benson looks so confused and horrified and can't understand what's happening, which says a lot considering she has seen it all. Uh, yes. <laughs> and they are fully not hearing the detectives. And so Benson starts pulling at cords, trying to unplug the consoles and shut the TV down. And finally they're like, whoa, where did you come from? And Stabler yells, the real world. Um, what does it find out? What's the real world MTV slogan? When people stop being polite and start getting real? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so he pushed the lazy boy forward and makes the man fly up. And he's like, this is level 20 and our boy needs us. And Benson pushes the woman forward, like start moving and says, the way you treat kids, he's better off without you, lady. Caleb, the computer child dies and falls off the snowy ledge. And Benson walks the man into interrogation. And he's like, listen, I really got to get back. And Benson's like, wow, that game really has you by the balls, huh? And he's like, I'm not even addicted. And Benson schools his ass like, Babe, you're sweating." And so uh, you stink. Like you haven't bathed in a month. You're a junkie. He says, no, Amber has the problem. I can stop whenever. And then Amber is telling Stabler how they met a year ago online in a tournament hosted in South Korea. Okay, worldly. Um, and he had the cutest avatar and only lived three blocks away. And Stabler's like, hey, that's fate. And so then um, they started playing 24-7 after she won her settlement from the city in May. And so they're doing a classic back and forth interrogation room. And then Jeff says that Amber got hit by a bus. They were on their way to Best Buy to get in line to buy a new game. And he's like, the sound of her head made it when it hits the ground. (laughs) Like, uh-oh. Does that make sense? He like
0: remembers the sound that her head made when it hit the ground. Yeah, I didn't mean to laugh,
1: but I'm like so um, upset by hearing that and imagining it that I'm smiling. (laughs) That is a bad quality of mine. Like if I'm uncomfortable with sad news, I will just smile. And it's like fucked up. And I don't, um, but I don't I think know what a lot to of do. people do that. Yeah, but it's fucked. Like I feel like, um, like I should be in that movie Smile that came out.
0: Like, <laughs> fucking, Jared saw it.
1: <laughs> did he like it? Dave, that's Dave Mazzoni's friend is the lead, and he said, "Oh, the really?" Chief he said it, it was. He said he had some problems with it, but it was good, yeah. and he liked it. Yeah, I want to see. Pearl. I got God. There's just so much goodness out. Gotta mm. see Barbarian. I mean, the movies are. Well, he saw Barbarian and he loved that.
0: I know. I can't wait. And you know, our fellow exactly right. Uh Buddy Banana's podcast host Kurt Ronuler is in Barbarian. Someone did
1: tell me that. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. Oh my God. Um he's fun. Oh my God. Okay. So many good movies. Um, so yeah, they were on their way to the Best Buy and then um her head hit the ground after getting hit by a bus. Um, Eek did not want to imagine that. That's what I wrote. Like it does, it's an upsetting um yeah. thing to envision and, and Benson's like well I wish you cared at all about your what your child has been through and he says Caleb will be okay and she yells and says I'm talking about your real child and then he shows uh, she shows a photo of Rose to him and he says that's not his kid she calls me daddy sometimes but some other dude knocked up Amber and so Benson sternly says okay fine so you're just her stepdad that keeps her locked underneath the stairs who throws p- uh, her a pizza crust every now and then when you get bored you go in and there and rape her and that's when he snaps into reality and he's like wait what? Rose escaped. Like he had no idea she was gone. That's how little attention they paid to this girl. And then he's like, so she ran away and somebody raped her. And Benson leans in with her hands on the table and loudly says, not somebody, but you, Jeff, you raped her. And he says, pause the game. I haven't had sex with anybody in like six months, at least. (laughs) And Amber also is like, I have a daughter named Rose somewhere, but this photo is not her, but this is not my daughter. But this girl has been living in our apartment. So she's denying this is her daughter, but is uh, agreeing that this girl does live with her. So Elliot's like All of You know As the viewers We're like Wait what What's going on here You know Neil Bear What are you throwing at us What are you giving us <laughs> And so the mom is like But she's an imposter um, And she's like Yeah she says All these stories About my daughter And like What we used to do Before Jeff She even calls me mommy And it's like This bitch is not Putting it together And Stabler is like Yeah because this girl Is your daughter And she rips the photo In half and screams Stop No This is not my daughter Rose So then Stabler. Stabler doesn't know what to do, so thank God George Huang came in um, on his lunch break from the FBI. And in the <laughs> spy window, says um, that it appears she's suffering from capgras delusion, rare mental disorder where patients suddenly believe that their loved ones uh, <laughs> have been replaced by duplicates. Benson and Stabler look at each other quick, like cartoon characters, then back at Huang, who continues that it's like the movie Invasion of the Body Snatcher, but no pods, just a head injury. That severed her emotional responses to her child. So,
0: and it's funny that we just, I, I, I looked this up when I was watching the episode, and it's funny that we just, I just mentioned prosopagnosia, face blindness, because there are some theories that think that these two are linked. Like when you suddenly develop like a face blindness or something, so you don't recognize people that are close to you or in your life, you know? That sucks. Like uh, cousins, they're distance cousins, these two weird disorders, yeah.
1: Uh, Oh, the, okay. So the disorders are cousins. Yes. Benson is like, oh, damn, this must have happened to her after she got hit by the bus. He's like, you know, she can see the girl looks and sounds like her daughter Rose, but her ability to feel any any love for her is gone. And that could fuel the indifference to the stepfather fucking, uh, raping her. And Benson is like, what about the guy? And Huang's like, besides an internet addiction he's just a jerk. So how do we get the mom to flip on Jeff? And Huang says there's a visual disconnect. So Benson's like, oh, but maybe if she hears her without seeing her, that might help her remember her daughter. So Rose starts talking over the intercom and the mom smiles and is like, is that really you? And she goes, yeah, it's really me. And the mom gets happy and wants to see her, but Stabler's like, no, just listen. And she says, tell them what Jeff did to me, how he hurt me. She says, oh baby, I'm sorry. Where did you go? I went looking for you. He put me in that room and nobody gave me any food. She says, sweetheart, I didn't know. And Jeff said you were fine. And then some other girl came to stay with us. Why did you stop loving me? She asked. And she says, no, I love you with all my heart. And then, you know, you know, Rose says, I love you too. And finally, Rose can't, like she runs in and Benson tries to stop her, but can't. I guess this kid, you know, can outmaneuver Olivia Benson and uh, runs in. And so she hugs Amber and Amber's like, you are not my daughter and pushes her off of her. I don't know what kind of psychological trauma this is going to do for Rose. I am. Rose is crying and screaming like yes I am yes I am and then oh my god this bitch slaps Rose across the face and screams, you tricked me, you little bitch. You are not my daughter. And Rose is crying and Benson's trying to console and help her. Oh my God. (laughs) And now Rose and Benson are chatting in a room and she asks, what's going to happen to my mom? And um, Benson's like, Rose, your mom is very sick and she let your stepdad do bad things to you. But we're going to lock him up. He won't do anything ever again to you and he'll never make you bleed. And she says, that wasn't him. And Benson confirms and she says, the other man hurt me down there so Benson's like so after you ran away from the apartment she's like I was so hungry I ran away to get something to eat and that's when the other man grabbed me and Benson asks if she remembers what he looked like and she says he had something over his face but his voice was mean and Benson asks where it happened and she says in the jungle gym area at Laffy Time so um, that's the kids club that they were at earlier who said they do not recognize Rose so what's up what's up Yeah. so now we're um, on a blow up screen of Laffy Time's website and Munch is chatting about it. He says, it's a magical land of fun and games and sexual assault. And Stabler says he was there yesterday and showed Rose's picture to the owner who said, you know, she doesn't remember her. Then Munch says, well, did this lady mention that she has a perv on the payroll? And he found some reviews on the site and one uh, says that, don't go to Laffy Time, there's a guy who touches kids. So they immediately speed over there and the lady's like, oh, hello again. Any any luck finding the girl who was attacked? And Stabler says, well, we found her uh, name and now, Now we need help finding another one from you. And Benson asks, what men work at Laffy Time? And she says they have no male employees because it works out best to only have women around the kids. And right as she lies, a giant grown man is running with the kids. And they're like, well, who's that? And they all run towards him. She says, that's Stewart. And Stewart is played by Adrian Martinez. And to me, prolific. So the big thing with him is he's in the episode of Sex and the City. Remember when... um, Samantha does the naked photo shoot and Mm -hmm. Buster, what's his name? What's his real name? I never remember his real name. Gary and Buster, like his characters. Tony Hale's in this episode. Buster for Tony Hale? Yeah, Tony Hale's in Sex and the City as well. So Mm -hmm. Samantha has a naked photo shoot and then she she wants attention for it and the framer won't give her attention. So then she hangs it by the door and Adrian Martinez delivers her fast food. And then he sees the photo and goes, nice ass. And then she tips some extra. And (laughs) gives him more cash. So that really makes me happy. And he's also an Inside Amy Schumer and I Feel Pretty. Yeah, he looks very familiar to me. I looked him up. But this is the second Schumer connect in this episode. Oh. Remember Rock from up top, the bodega New Yorkers. New Yorkers. Schumer's (laughs) one of the only shows that shoots in New York in the past, like, you know. I like... Along with this one. I mean, you know this about me, nothing new, but I love people that don't move to LA. Like, I really (laughs) do. I love people that are just crushing it on the East Coast. But yeah, he has 117 credits. So all the adults come at... Stewart. And he starts screaming and sits down and the employee women is like, don't hurt Stewart. And finally, Stewart's a funny name. It reminds me of Mad TV. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, and finally confesses that it is her son and he runs very childlike and it's obvious he is intellectually disabled so he's like hey are you taking me to jail or what <laughs> and they're like it depends where were you two nights ago and he says he was at church Tuesday night and he loves church because God loves him and he says that a lot of people saw him at church and he was with his mom but you won't believe me because I'm a registered sex offender <laughs> And Stabler asks her, is that true? And she's like, yes, technically, but it's a mistake. And Benson's like, so is having him around kids. That's a felony. And the mom says, my boy is different. It's called Noonan syndrome. And so they ask how he got on the registry. So... He, he was a bat boy for a softball league in Central Park and the bathroom lines were long and so he peed in the bushes and then Stuart interrupts to say people saw his wee-wee and then the mom says it was a simple mistake but a parent said that he flashed people and, you know, kids, yada, yada and so there we go. That's that. That's how I got. I, there needs to be a separate registry. There should be a piss registry and a sex yeah, registry. Yeah. The, the I was pissing registry seems like it's very long. <laughs> like,
2: yeah,
0: like what the fuck? Because if you're drunk and you piss near like a closed school, you can get on the sex offender registry, I think. There's Even if it's sh- like nighttime and there's like, you're in a school zone.
1: I don't know. It, but I, I don't think you should piss on a school, but I, I, I think it's different than rape. I don't think that
0: means you need to tell your neighbors that you touch children. Yeah, like, it's kind of, it is,
1: it it seems like... Why do we leave that? I don't know. Oh, and then Benson's like, listen, those reviews, like we didn't like the review on the website. It's troubling. She says she tried to delete them, but hey. um, But she said it must be the same people that put these around the neighborhood and then shows Benson a paper sign with her son's photo and in red think font says, I touch kids at Laffy Time. Um, And it's from Co-op, Citizens Organized Against Predators. And they know one of these concerned citizens, Eric Weber. And Eric at Weber was in the episode right before this with Joan Cusack called Locum and then this one. So they know who he is and he has 75 episodes of Lost and 57 other credits. Do you know this man? No, I only know him from this episode. Oh, okay, cool. So they go visit him and he's teaching kids karate while yelling kick, block, etc." The detectives interrupt him to chat and someone takes over the class and he wants to fuck Olivia and is very happy to see her. (laughs) And they confront him and the sign and he's like, what? Did we do something wrong? The community should know if there's a creep in the neighborhood. They say the wanted signs aren't the best way to go about it. But he says, this is info that's easily found on the internet so it's not like a secret. And then he starts chatting over, um, like about an app that helps find creeps all around us. And it's called Perv Pointer. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I love that. Okay, so Stabler actually understands nuance in this moment wildly. And he says, not all offenders are alike. That's nice. Um, and he is, uh, but this guy's a hardcore vigilante, and that's that. And he wants to keep tabs on these creeps, and then he says that he can reach. So he says that he has further reach than the police because, in theory, they have to follow the rules. But we all know that police do not follow rules. But <laughs> in this world, the cops are, are doing it by the book. So mm. they show him a photo of Rose and say, like, um, if you want to help us, show people this photo after class. But why does, like, why show the photo of Rose around like, they've identified her. They know who she is. Like, yeah. Why would they?
0: Yeah, f- that's a great question. Why? If you want to help us, show people this photo after class. To be like, did you see her get taken away by someone the night before? Like, that's so weird. You're yeah, right. Yeah, it just seems like you're telling you're, everyone like, about
1: this kid getting raped. To a
0: bunch of kids that you're teaching karate to? Do you know this kid? Like, you know, like, is that who you...
1: Yeah, I don't get that. But Benson hands him her card and he asks her uh, for her cell and she says the precinct's fine, but he wants to take her out for coffee, obviously. And she rolls her eyes, but she enjoys the attention. And Munch and Finn are out looking for evidence in the Laffy Time area. And a kid with ice cream on his face and a cone in his hand hops out of a bush and is like, what's up? What are you looking for? (laughs) I love him. I do too. And they say, get out of here. It's a crime scene. And then he goes, I don't feel good. (laughs) And then he pukes. (laughs) (laughs) So no crime scene and no hits off the photo. Now what? So a TV news crew is ready to attack and a reporter puts a mic in their faces and is like, what can you tell us? And they're not interested in talking and they start walking away. But then the reporter takes out a photo of Rose. And says, Are you denying this child was raped in this neighborhood? And our detectives are obviously pissed off. Like, how dare you reveal a victim publicly like that and a child? And Benson grabs the photo and says, How did you get this? Um, you know, you shouldn't be revealing a victim's face. And Sabley is like, I know who fucking did this. And then the reporter's like, Just a reminder, folks, we are live on air. <laughs> <laughs> and Benson is like good we just stopped you from violating a victim's right and she says you violated the freedom of the press and they walk into the office and Cragen's like great performance you two and Cragen's like go down there and Benson's like I'm not apologizing and he says no another little girl was raped Ugh, upsetting. Done, done. we're on the scene of a new crime and a woman is there saying that Maddie had swim class at the Y and she walks in the corner and gets picked up and then the mom is like fuck why wasn't I on time and when she arrived her daughter was on the curb bleeding and crying and Benson is talking to the girl who is in a stretcher and she's like you sure you didn't see his face and then she says Mandy he can't hurt you no matter what he says and then we see Mandy has really deep bruises on her arm she says she didn't see his face because he had a mask and it was dark in there except when he took her picture she says she tried to make it stop and as they're speaking with her the mom runs over towards her and they all keep chatting but then Stabler sees Eric Weber and he does not like it the whole organization there is there there's a whole group of people, but Stabler runs straight to Eric, grabs him, and says, What the fuck? Giving Rose's photo out. He says, I only gave it to co members. And he says, Well, maybe one of them gave it to, like away. You guys are such amateurs. And he shoots back, like, you guys are doing so much better. And Stabler says, Weber, back off. And he goes, Where? This is our neighborhood. And Stabler says, We're working as fast as we can. And then Eric is like, Well, who is it? Who is the suspect? And then starts showing the info of all the creeps in the hood on, you know, the app. <laughs> like, is it this? creep? Or is it this creep? And Sable grabs the phone he was using and throws it onto the street, which Eric obviously does not enjoy. He does not like that. <laughs> um, but I would, that's fun though. That's like a cool thing. To throw the phone? Yeah. Like if someone was annoying you so much and you just grab their phone and threw it in the middle of the street, that's I, cool. I know. It's a. It's a,
0: well, he did that in another episode. He took someone's camera and threw it or wait, Amaro did that.
1: Or no, Stabler did that. Stabler did that in the episode with a
0: reporter. They've both
1: thrown. That stranger, Amaro, he threw the camera of that pedophile. Yeah. That looks like Gary Sinise, but isn't.
0: Yeah. I think it was Thought Criminal. I don't know. Yeah. Thought criminal is that's exactly it. Uh, Yeah, I think it was Josh Molina's. Yeah.
1: Oh my God. Did you, someone posted a thing, um, a Roger Ebert scathing review of fandom. And this was like decades before Game of Thrones. And you know, like this yeah. was a long time ago. But he was saying, he's like, these people are the worst to talk to because they're not comfortable with ad-libbing or like having fun. And they just like only talk about this thing that they know and asking you questions that they already know the answers to. And he's like, they're the most boring people to talk to. And I was like, spiraling. I'm like, I'm only talking about Seinfeld, SVU, The Simpsons, or Sex in the City. I'm like, that's truly- Or Drag Race.
0: Yeah. Or Survivor. Yellow Jackets. <laughs> You've got a lot. You've got a lot. So I wouldn't say you're um, super dedicated to any one fandom because you're part of a many of them.
1: I am. It's like so fucked. I'm like, is, would Roger Ebert hate me, like, <laughs> or would we vibe a little? I think you and Roger Ebert would
0: absolutely vibe. Really? That's you so are nice. unexpected. You are not an expected boring person to have a conversation with. Okay, thank I you think for he's talking about that. people that only know one thing, and on, they like set up conversations to be able to talk about the one thing they know about. Yeah, that's like
1: not what you do. Like he used Star Wars and Star Trek, and he goes, "Yeah, a guy and a girl, they're just like playing there as Luke and and yeah, and just, they were great. They, we've never really had movie reviewers since them, like in that kind of prestige and fame.
0: There's like A.O. Scott, um, never even. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do know A.O. Scott. You're yeah, right, but that's like it. You're right. I mean, they're like those two were like the last big movie reviewers. An anomaly. Like now it's Rotten Tomatoes. And when I go on Rotten Tomatoes, like the people that are like up at the top are from like websites and publications I've never heard of. Like I never see major newspaper or like magazines, reviewers at the top of Rotten Tomatoes. It's
1: always like, I like movies dot biz. I hated this, you know, like, yeah, not the same, but you know what? I watch Trixie and Katya watching Netflix shows on YouTube and that's as close to the (laughs) Siskel and Ebert that we could ever get. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. We have them. We do have Siskel and Ebert and it's Katya and Trixie. (laughs) Um, Benson's going to go play some PR. Okay. And she says, Eric, listen, you need to let us do our jobs. And he apologizes and says he should have been more careful. But every time he hears about a child being attacked, he thinks about his sister, Grace. She knows it's personal to him, but also for them and also personal gets in the way and blurs judgment. And he's like, no, I feel clear. Um, I know dirt on these guys. You don't even know. And Benson's like, stop. Even if you don't trust Stabler, trust me, we're going to get this guy the right way. And we cut to Finn doing a presentation to the crew and the squad room and the board is a bunch of creep's faces and circles on a map of the neighborhood. <laughs> and um I you know I said I never know where I stand with vigilante justice but I think I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm individual anti-justice. And Craig like when the when the neighborhood of uh was it Highland Park uh, whatever whatever neighborhood in LA caught the night stalker like that footage to me I I could watch it ev- like I should watch it to get hyped. Like, the community coming together to catch this killer, I like that.
0: Yeah, that was when he was, like, on the run, you see a killer, go tackle him. I don't know if I agree with, like, the guys that dressed up like superheroes and went out in the night to get people in another episode of the show or, like, these co-op people that are, like, making wanted posters for poor people with mental, like, you know, disabilities or, like, um, the lesbians. What's the one? What's the one that Kathy Griffin runs? Lesbian uh, Apple called... Aggressives. No, no, Big Apple Aggressives is, is different. Uh, Kathy Griffin runs one that's
1: called um Lesbians 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 strong. Lesbians strong. Lesbians Lesbian strong. Lesbians strong. Lesbian strong. <laughs> <laughs> Lesbian strong. <laughs> okay. Well, they're not really
0: vigilantes against crime. They're just pro-lesbians so they're allowed <laughs> they're allowed to be alive but like the superhero dorks that are like vigilant i don't know sometimes the vigilantes i'm like Ugh. eric roberts is on the show as a vigilante i think in earlier seasons His Am I wrong about that? coming
1: up i don't remember i he's really, Julia roberts brother how dare you to talk to me like that like i wouldn't know that
0: oh sorry you don't think sure he, he's been on svu
1: you don't think everyone knows eric roberts and julia roberts are siblings and Emma Roberts is their niece. I mean, his. daughter. I don't know. I bet you some people don't know. I bet you someone write right in and tell me. Write in if this is the in first and time. Tell me if I
0: broke the news to you today, <laughs> I want to know if I'm educating people. <laughs> no, he plays a guy named Sam Winfield in two episodes, and and he's uh he's a former cop and an activist, quote unquote. So yeah, they do this a lot. They have a lot of like the cops going against vigilante people.
1: Um. Okay. Cragen says no go corral these creeps. Okay. Does everyone know where we are? (laughs) We're in the squad room. So then it cuts to a bunch of lawyers being held back in the squad room, trying to see their clients. And Cragen's like, you can see it's a little busy in here and everyone's busy talking to creeps at their desk. (laughs) And some are chill and proud. They have alibis and some are fucking screaming, losing it. They didn't rape any little girls. And we're back onto the pedophile computer system and Munch is turning all the red circles representing creeps into green circles saying clear, clear, clear. Um, Finn says, great, now we got to get this place fumigated. Uh, I get it. <laughs> I was like, were there rats there? <laughs> uh Benson says, sometimes you shake the tree and nothing falls out. And Cragen sends everyone home and says, they'll shake more trees in the morning. So then Stabler and Benson turn around at the same time together and stand leaning on their crossed arms at, like, Uh, elbows on the table. It's super cute. Like a cherub pose. That's how I would describe Mm -hmm. it. Like a little cherubs. And he's like, you thinking what I'm thinking? And she's like, I hope not. I love it. But obviously it's, you know, to go to Eric's house. And she says, but I'm scared. He gives us something good and then throws it out. And then, you know, it's thrown out in court. But Stabler's like, what if it's enough to stop another little girl from getting raped? good point and she's nervous if she's seen comparing notes with a known vigilante and it's like no one is paying attention <laughs> like no one is watching you guys and Stabler's unless they are and Stabler is like you're just having coffee with a guy who thinks you're cute and they grin and they start moving so they're at Eric's house having red wine clink the glasses and he's like hell yeah let's fuck and she's like this is purely professional and he says that he got involved with pedophile vigilantism because he um, did the website their website for free so the this organization existed. He did their website. He's a computer geek. Um, Did you watch Daria? Yeah. So Quinn Morgendorf, you know, she's like the popular sister. Did you watch the one where their house was on fire so they had to live in the hotel? No. <laughs> so they're living in this hotel and um, a bellhop is like, hey, you know, my uncle owns the hotel. I'll get you the president's suite and this and that. And he's whining and dining, but it ends up being a stalker and the police come. And then they're like, ma'am, don't worry. You know, he the uncle actually doesn't own it. He just works at the hotel and was charging it to the room and then deleting the charges. And Quinn goes, ew, you mean I went out with a... Computer geek, <laughs> <laughs> like she didn't care about the stocking. Um, I thank you for laughing. I, I it did take that story did take longer than I thought, but I loved Daria. Um, and then there's a painting. You kind of you could be Daria for Halloween. I know I have like the glasses and the hair. Yeah, I could. Yeah,
0: yeah. People also say Linda Belcher, but you've done that. Yeah, I did do that once. Um,
1: but this, I kind of, am obsessed. I know I could get like a little blazer and like, yeah. And then there's a painting of a young girl in the house. Yeah. A blazer, a little skirt boots, black boots. Combat boots or something. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you should be Daria. Maybe next year. This feels too
0: close. We're going on tour. How am I going to procure a Daria costume? No, I'm not passionate enough about Daria to be her for Halloween. I think I have to be more passionate.
1: I okay. do like her. I do like her. Cuz I'm the show. looking at her right now on my wall. I have a needlepoint Daria and Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you would crush it. <laughs> you would really crush it. Oh, God, this is taking forever. And there's, okay, so then there's a painting of a young girl, and Benson asks if it's his sister, and uh, of course it is. So he painted it when he was 16, right after the attack, and she says it's beautiful. And he wanted to show Grace how happy she was and how she can get back there, but the rapist took everything. And three months later, their mother found her hanging in the closet, and Benson's like, I'm so sorry. And he says, we went to a dark place, too, for not protecting her. You know, and so he says that he also went to a dark place for not being able to protect her as his, as her big brother. Then he says, I want to show you something and approaches like seven computer monitors. <laughs> and she's like, fuck, we got to be careful. And he rightfully responds, like, isn't this what you came here for? And she says, I did, but you're a civilian, so I can't like direct you to do something, ali- you know, ali- it's illegal. And he says that he did this months ago. And he says child molesters are all about secrecy. And so, and they're really worried about security. So he came up with a bunch of doorknob signs and everyone on the, re- and he put them on on everyone's doors that's on the registry and it's for cybersecurity services but his service wasn't actually secure and it installed a virus in their computers which allows him to remotely view everything they do but she can't see it because it's you know illegally all connected yada yada but he said that in 2007 in California they uh used this and like uh, they used the hackers info to put away a judge who is into kitty porn in quotes and that's uh, what you know he wants to do here and he says he found so many images from all these hard drives and holy shit, the photo of Rose comes up and it's coming from the Upper East Side and it was uploaded 90 minutes after the attack and also the girl from yesterday's on the person's drive too. And then we cut straight to Steven Tablowski. Freaky Friday. Groundhog's Day and literally 800 things. Like, uh, he's he's been working so and I feel prolific. like yeah. he's uh, part of our lives. It's really cool. And so he's leaving for work as a pregnant woman in a pink robe. It's like, have a good day. Um, and boom, Stabler cuffs him and Benson runs up and hands the woman a warrant and says, we're going to take your computers, ma'am. Don't get in our way. She screams, Edwin. And, sh- you know, he screams, Louise. So now... Um, yeah, an interrogation asking, why is he here? And Marishka's like, well, why were you in a Connecticut police station in 1997? And it's because he had inappropriate contact with a 10-year-old girl. And where, why were you in a police station in Maryland in 2002? Nine-year-old forcible fondling. And he says, he admitted to those, and he went away, and Benson Snarky as fuck says, well, not long enough. And they ask where he was yesterday afternoon, and he says every afternoon he takes a break and reads in the park in Kipps Bay. And Rose and Mandy were raped there, Stabler says, and Tablowski, a.k.a. Evan, responds, who? And they push, did anyone see you there? And he says, well, hopefully. And Benson's like, what were you reading, Lolita? So you could get your juices flowing? Ew, yeah. Benson. Ew. <laughs> okay. And they plop the photos on the table and he says that he didn't take those. And then Stabler's like, why did we find them on your computer? And he screams, um, this would get thrown out by the way. Yeah, like I think this would fully get thrown out. Okay, so he screams, what? While trying to stand up and they push his shoulders back down and he says, please, please, I didn't do this and you have to let me go. And then he says something horrifying that Luis doesn't even know any of this and he's kept everything a secret, his parole, everything. That's Ooh. scary. I don't like, I, I, I think you, I think it's fair to background check anyone you want. I think if you date someone, you can background check them. What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah,
0: I don't know. Sure, I've never done it. But like, yeah, that is scary that you could be like really pregnant with someone's child and have like a whirlwind one-year romance and not realize they've like went away for child molestation. Yeah, it's like wild. It's fucked up.
1: And I guess like you kind of also socially knew your now husband. So it wasn't like... I feel like if he was arrested for child pornography, we would know about it. We I, would know, yeah. I You know, I know the molesters. We know the also, also,
0: like, I have all Jared's passwords. I could steal his identity in two seconds. So, like, I know what he's
1: doing online. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I believe in background checking, everyone. I think it's even moral to hire a, a PI to take photographs and spy on them. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, with, with stuff like this going on, No one's safe, and he said they (laughs) put that on the shirt. He said they just met a year ago and it was a whirlwind thing. And Benson says, "Well, guess who's crashed back into Earth?" I mean, the lines in this episode are really killer. <laughs> Three strikes throughout, says Stabler, and Edwin's nervous, like biting his fist. He and um, he's just super pressed about all this, and he's like, "I got to see my lawyer right now." And Benson and Stabler are walking and talking, and how they love to watch grown men cry. And the defense attorney walks on in, and she's fancy, I would say, and she wants to see Edwin, and they're like too late. He's going to arraignment, and when they tell her for what? She's shocked. And she's like, you're mistaken. He's a tax guy and a church deacon. And it's like, those are actually signs of pedophilia. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, (laughs) what? I like that church deacon and being shocked about the molesting is like, like that would ever be surprising. And yeah. Stabler's like, you're forgetting registered sex offender. And she looks shocked. And they realize that the family lawyer didn't know this information. Oh my God. And behind them in the cage, Edwin is getting the shit beat out of him by a uniformed officer screaming, he raped those girls. And he's bloody and breathlessly saying like, help me, help me, help me. And now Cragen walks into, but he already been in prison. Didn't he learn how to fight a little bit? I know. You were there for nine years as a child molester. Like, that must have been, yeah. Like, get get it together fight back like you're yeah Um. now Cragen walks into a room where the uni cop is sitting and he's like is this clown really on the job so he lied downstairs and finagled his way and he did come to do it the daughter his daughter's in the same swim class and we you know so he knew Mandy um, forever she's been over at sleepovers at their house so he saw red and Cragen's like you fucked up your own career and he says I know I shouldn't have ever signed up for the you know those tweets and they're like what tweets so there's a watch group in the neighborhood and they have a Twitter called Creep Tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Use Creep Tweets. Link your Creep Tweets to your perv
0: pointer and find
1: <laughs> out where all the way, Okay, so now creep tweets are being mentioned in court by Edwin's lawyer. (laughs) And we're at arraignment and the DA is truly a woman. I refuse to learn her face. Like, I want to have the facial blindness for this woman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Call me a men's rights activist, but I don't give a shit about her. So (laughs) then... um, but the judge, the judge is a sex-in-the-city queen as well. So this judge, this episode's one of my favorites. Um, you know, Hot Child in the City, where Carrie starts dating the comic book guy. Yeah. And he lives. Power Lad. Power Lad. And so he, So this is his mother. This is Power Lad's mother. That's like, Carrie, and like calling, and then catches them smoking weed. And then Carrie grabs the weed on the way out. And she goes, yes, Mrs. Adams, and I'm taking it with Taking this. it with me. When I go, yeah, and her little shorts in that episode, the chicken wing, it's a weed episode. There's a couple weed episodes, but like, um, yeah, this is one of my favorites. And he was in, um, I he was at Caroline's in the audience once, years and years ago, when I was opening for David Tell. Oh, damn listen, I'm obsessed. So this is Mrs. Adams and they're talking about the attack in the cage and the judge is not happy that he was assaulted in their custody. And Miss West, I did learn her name, is the DA. Um, And Cragen said it won't happen again and she says, just passing the buck and the judge is like, actually, Captain, I want to talk to your ass. How many cops do you have? And he says, 100. And she's like, and yet somehow one man got past all of them and Cragen's like, he lied and had fake paperwork and the judge is like, yes or no. And he says, yes. And then Miss West says, Cragen is not the one being arraigned here, today and Cragen then says your honor all due respect do not release this man he is a flight risk and his lawyer's like "Um, a baby on the way I think that's a reason to be tied down so they argue back and forth and Cragen is like protect the community and Edwin's like no protect me from the police please and she agrees with Edwin so his bail is granted at 50,000 and he just has to surrender his passport and the lawyer and like a baby on the way is like kept,
0: kept, kept any man tied down like really if you were fleeing from possible like life in prison bye baby Like you're, you do not care.
1: Amen. Okay. And so the lawyer's like, just a little bit of paperwork, and then your wife will pick you up, and he's obviously so upset. He's like, my wife, God, no, please, she can't know about this. Um, and so the vigilante group is outside with poster boards, and who has the time? So Stabler comes out, and the reporter starts trying to fuck with him, and he's not really feeling it, but then they see Edwin, and they're like, fuck Stabler, let's go get Edwin. So all, the media mob like runs to get his ass, and they run to him, and he sees his wife, and she's so mad at him. Um, and she looks at him with such disgust, and he gets into the... Uh, you you know he gets in the car and stares at the detectives he really stares at the detectives and then he drives his jaguar right into a truck it's not a gas truck but it does explode into fire boom 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 eric says oh my god and there is a fire and the detectives look at the fire and everyone is like wow there's a fire and then it cuts to the squad watching the news and it says deviant dead <laughs> and they can't believe it but benson is like cold as fuck and is like hey if the vigilantes stay this tough that's good news And we'll save a lot of money for trials, you know? And we could speed race to all these motherfuckers' deaths. (laughs) Okay. That's pretty, like... Hardcore. (laughs) Um, And we hear a little voice and she says, is it true? The man is really dead? And Benson says, yes, Mandy. He felt so guilty that he took his own life. And then she brings them to the interview room. Eric runs into Stabler and he's, um, there was some evidence. So there's a hard drive and he brings it in and he's like, I don't know how much you can use, but I thought the real cops should have it. And so then Benson's telling the girls about city counseling and support services and it's all free. And then she's like, well, maybe something else can help because she sees Eric and she goes, don't you want to learn karate? And she goes, cool and so she calls eric into the room and introduces eric to the mom and to mandy the little girl and uh once he starts talking she looks immediately shocked and scared and just like fuck not the same and benson notices something is off and mandy is like frozen and asks and she's like are you okay and she goes i want to go home now and then when she gets up on the chair there's a big puddle of piss and this is like the movie ransom do you remember that I don't remember this. Did this, something like this happen in Ransom? Yeah, like he peed down his pants and that's how they knew who the killer was. Yeah. What is? But also, like, uh,
0: would it, did any of the girls say the man had an accent? No, but they're kids. I know, but like, you could say he doesn't talk like you or me. I mean, like, Rosie knows Peppa Pig talks different and like, Bluey talks different. You know what I mean? Like, if they had like, if there had been an accent, I feel like that would have like, maybe tipped Olivia or something earlier. But Are you blaming no the victim? No, no. Benson's- Blaming the cops
1: should have asked. <laughs> ben "Yeah, they they should have. Uh, did did the criminal sound like Peppa Pig? That yeah. would be a perfect <laughs> question." Um, so, there's a piss. So, if a kid is pissing, the killer's in the room. So, then Benson says, Mandy just told us who really raped her. So, we cut to Eric opening the door to his apartment, and it's Benson in there. Um, oh, my God. I love this scene. I'm like, okay. We're we're nearing the end, guys. Let's do this. So, Eric opens the door to the apartment, and Benson's there to see him. And he's like, wow, surprise. And she's like, what? Can't just drop by for a glass of wine? And it's like, no, you're a psychopath. <laughs> um, he says, sorry, I'm all out. But also, I am he was thinking, and before he can say anything more, Benson goes, you want to stop seeing me? And he's like, it's not you, but I'm just too wound up and too many painful memories. And Benson then like pushes him. I'm not even your type, right? I'm a little old. And she's acting smug as hell. And it's like, you're a fucking liar. And he's like, I don't know what, um, what you're talking about. And she's like, look at you, keep lying. And the biggest lie is you hating pedophiles, trying to get pedophiles. And he screams, don't call me that. And she says, I didn't but that's weird that you thought I did. And he says, just because I don't want to date you. And she's like, just tell the truth. You never wanted to date me. You just wanted to suss out what the cops knew. So, you know, you slithered up and whipped out your perv pointer and your drive and make sure we were watching the creep down the street or in the park. But I think you moved to this neighborhood on purpose because it's the perfect cover for raping little girls. And he's like, I want you out of here. And Benson says, you're the karate expert. Make me. And he smiles and he ain't going to do shit. And he giggles and walks away and says, I'm going to call the police. And she's like. And tell them what? That you fingered Adelson for a crime he didn't commit. And it's like, fingered means something else. It's like, you can't do that. They say fingered in this all the I know, time. I but like though. language changes. Things start meaning other things. You can't I just hate it. keep sneaking I hate fingers. Fingered. I know. It's like so weird. Um he screams and is getting agitated. And Benson's like, Nope, bro, you hacked him and you did it. And he says, And he's like, No, he did it, Olivia. And that's why he offed himself. And she says, Because you drove him to it, just like how you drove your sister to do that. And she points to the painting while talking. And he is like, oh, uh, now you're really losing it. Grace hung herself in 82 and walks out a woman saying, then how can I be standing right here? And Stabler's behind her and Eric looks shocked and the violins start playing and he says, Grace? And Stabler says, she was super easy to find. She was just like in Delaware in a phone book, but you needed her dead, didn't you? For your sob story so nobody would peek under the mask. And then she says, you raped me, Eric. I was only nine. And then you try to convince me it was a mistake. You swore. She started walking, like, walking towards Eric, and he's crying, and she says, but you kept on raping. How many, Eric? How many girls pictures did you paint? And then he screams, I can't help it. Don't you see? I'm sick. I can't control myself. You have have no idea what it's like. I try so hard to not look at little girls, and he fights against it, and every time it wins, and Benson says, enough with your sob story. Don't you judge me, bitch. You make me sick. Every time I stand near you, I have to hold my breath. And Benson's like, finally, you tell the truth. And he gets mad and tries to comfort her, and she knocks His ass to the ground. Bye bye. And he hits the floor. (laughs) And Stabler pulls out his gun. And Grace pulls like some weapon that the Grim Reaper would hold. What was that? It was a Grim Reaper
0: like yeah it like a like a scythe or like,
1: like a machete I don't know it was wild it was really wild and she's crying and then she um she attacks the painting and so she starts ripping the painting apart and it ends on our detectives faces and an amazing episode of television twists and turns one of my favorite red herrings but not red herring. I mean it's like um it's incredible one of the most amazing twists
0: uh, in the history of the show and very similar to, fast forward this if you've never read or seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but to me, this is like the exact ending of The Girl with the Tra- Dragon Tattoo is like this girl that they everyone has assumed has been dead the entire time comes back and is like, yeah, my brother was raping me forever. Like, and it's like a huge twist at the end of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which only came out, like the book only came out a couple years before this episode. So I feel like I wonder if someone was reading it, but- It's like, uh, it's like also with this guy, Eric, like I, I think that that is how pedophiles feel. Like I try not to do it. I really try, I really try. And like, I'm sick and I can't control myself. And like, I do think that's how pedophiles feel. But then it's like, you're framing other people. You're ruining other people's lives. And you're like out there. Yeah, like putting up posters of a poor mentally ill boy being like, get this freak. When it's like you, you're like a Republican. Like you're this guy talking about like, Family values while you're trying to tap on somebody's foot in a stall to get a BJ. You know what I mean? Like that's like why this guy gets like no no sympathy for me. Like
1: also fuck him forever. just get castrated. Like all these fucking pervs should just get their sperm cut. Yeah, does that work? Chemical you get like chemically castrated. I yeah. bet you there's still
0: other ways you could hurt people, but. Anyway, an amazing episode, a, um, a depressing crime to, to follow. So don't go anywhere. Listen to our uh, advertisements, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Okay, so um, even though I think that the end part of the episode has to do with the girl with the dragon tattoo, in my opinion, uh, the real true crime is um, connected to the compulsive gamers that are uh, Rose Samonsky's parents at the beginning of the oh, episode. Whoa. So cool, yeah. So this is called the. It's not that cool when you hear the no, story. No, <laughs> I know, but I that's not yeah.
1: where my head. I I I didn't know what crime you were doing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I am because. That is a very interesting part of this episode. And it always, I remember it and the whole interaction. Yeah. This, like it's just. Well, they put a lot of little details into it that show you how
0: connected it is to this. So it's based on the case of Kim Sarong, but in Korea, they put the last name first, I believe. So Sarong is her first name and it means love. And um, she was the three month old child of. Uh, J. Bomb Kim, age 40, and his common-law wife, uh, Young Chung Kim, age 25. These two parents were poor, unemployed, and unfortunately, were extremely addicted to a massive multiplayer online role-playing game, also known as an MMORPG, called Prius. Probably the most famous MMORPG is World of Warcraft, Um, but this one was called Prius. And, um, This couple would allegedly leave their baby home for like hours at a time, like eight to 10 hours to go to an internet cafe and play the game. And the super fucked up part of it is just like in the episode, the game is all about raising a child. It's about raising a little girl and giving her all these powers and then she fights and stuff. So they would leave their real child to go raise like an online game child. And um, one night they came uh, in September of 2009. One morning they came home at 7 a.m. after playing the game for 10 hours at one of these gaming places. Like they kept calling them like, um, oh, video bang or game bang or something. I don't know. It's like these, they're like these places all over Korea, South Korea, where you can play games for like long amounts of time. I mean, I'm sure we have them in the U.S., but they're like prolific in Korea. Um, and when they got home at seven a.m., the baby was passed. The baby I'm had really died. Sad. I know it's like so super sad. And her time of death, she weighed five point five pounds, which is less than her birth weight of six point four pounds. So, to have lost to have not gained any weight in your first three months of life is like tr- not good. Um, and the police noted the low weight and the dehydration, and they immediately became suspicious. And the cause of death was ruled malnutrition. And according to the police, um, the mother had not sought any medical care prior to giving birth. Like, she had not gone to the doctor, no checkups, no vitamins, like nothing. She did not know how to be a mom. Um, She fed the baby spoiled milk. And one investigator said she just had no idea how to raise a child. So um, after her death, the parents were afraid to alert the police and just started like looking up funeral arrangements online. And then... um, I will talk about this in a little bit, but there was a documentary about this case made. And in the documentary, this veteran detective says, uh, whose name is Sung Yoon Han says, a typical parent would weep in this situation, but they showed no emotion. And then he said, none of us believed it at first. Like they couldn't believe that this was like the result of the parents.
1: Wait, I'm and confused. So, so they didn't al- how did the police find out if eventually they didn't They the Eventually they did call the police, like
0: after they like looked up funeral arrangements, but like they knew- they had like they saw in their search history that they didn't call the police right away. They first looked up funeral arrangements. Oh, then wow. they called the police. Um, then while they're doing the autopsy, which apparently takes a couple of weeks, they the they let the parents go. They let them go free and then they disappeared after the baby's funeral. They like pieced out. Um So this was September of 09 when this happened. It took them until February of 2010 to find them, although they were hiding in an isolated village where their parents lived, so kind of should have been the first stop. But um, then after they captured them in, in February, the story started to go international in March of 2010. And then the trial was in April of 2010, and the trial lasted just over a half an hour. So in Korea... Trials are like episodes of Law and Order SVU. They happen very quickly and everything is resolved fast. Um, The parents confessed to charges of involuntary manslaughter. The father said in court, I think, um, quote, I think of our baby in heaven. I will be guilty until the day I die. And the prosecutor was aiming for five-year sentences for them. But um, uh, this case also stood to set legal precedents because no one had used gaming addiction as a defense before. And gaming addiction had never, as they knew led to a fatality before as far as they knew like they didn't know that a gaming addiction had ever led to somebody dying but the judge went lenient on them but why why well I think that I think it was because they realized how addicted to this game they were and like that they were not in their right minds I guess like he gave them two. he gave them both two-year sentences in prison the mother's sentence was suspended because she was pregnant with their second child. That's so funny. But they up. both swore that they would never play games again, and uh, you know the mom just like I don't think ever saw jail time because her sentence was suspended indefinitely. And then the the dad I think did two years in jail. Um, the case raised a lot of issues about the dark side of the internet in a country with very very advanced broadband. Like South Korea is like one of the considered one of the digital capitals of the world. So it's just um it's like a it's like a problem there like it's a five there's a five as of 2010 the gaming industry was 5 billion dollars there so it's definitely more now um online addiction is apparently very common in korea and um so someone made this hbo documentary called love child it's unfortunately no longer on hbo but i did find it online and i watched a, a bunch of it and it's so we'll put that in our show notes if you want to watch it and um it was directed by valerie veach va V-E-A-T-C-H. I don't know how you say that. vetch, And was um, it was about the tragedy, but instead of just like vilifying the negligent parents, it kind of looks more broadly at the country where like an estimated 2 million people are addicted to gaming. And um, they talk about in the documentary about like a 28-year-old woman who died of heart failure after playing a game for 50 hours straight. Um, And then, uh, so that's like an interesting, the documentary kind of They never show their faces, the parents' faces. And like, honestly, you look up information and there's nothing about like what happened to their second kid or if they're all living happily right now. Like, I have no idea. I just like, I don't know. I guess I feel sort of like it is maybe like a failure of society that no one taught this woman how to raise a child, but also like what was going on with you? Like apparently her family wasn't helping because they didn't approve of the age difference between her and her guy was 25 and 40. So they didn't like that age difference. And so like, I guess maybe a mom around would have said, okay, you got to feed your kid, like not spoiled milk. And like, here's what you do and you can't leave the baby at home alone. But I guess they were like, well, the baby's asleep. We're going to go out and
1: play. Like they just weren't, being normal. I don't know. Um, But I was— I don't feel bad for them, and I think they each should have been in jail for at least 10 years. I know.
0: I know. But they were, like, Korea felt differently, and they were given very lenient sentences and allowed to have another child that was not immediately taken away from them. Um, So I wanted to look up and see if, like, internet gaming disorder, like, online addiction has actually been recognized yet. And apparently— In 2013, Internet Gaming Disorder is identified in Section 3 of the DSM-5 as a condition warranting more clinical research and experience before it might be considered for inclusion in the main book as a formal disorder. Um, But apparently the WHO, the World Health Organization, officially recognized gaming disorder in May of 2019. So it's not not in the DSM yet, but it has been recognized by one major organization as a problem. So that's that. That's the story. I know. It's so sad. It's really sad. Um, But this Love Child documentary is is interesting. And they kind of talk about like, you know, what happened, but also,
1: you know, the gaming problem in in Korea. Um, I, under you know, it's, it's tough, but I wouldn't feel bad for anyone else addicted to anything else. Like, if yeah. your baby died and you were out drinking or doing drugs or gambling, right. you would still I don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> like right. The video, this video game, like, obviously, there's, like, people have issues, but, like, I don't feel bad. Like, if your baby dies like underweight, that's, that's so— I know. You belong in jail. I know. I just
0: feel like they were— like, the people in the show, like, they were just, like, completely not on the planet. You know what I mean? Like, besides her gras delusion thing, which was, like, added on to it, like, they just, like, didn't notice when someone burst into their home. Like, they are just fully not living in reality. Like, not washing themselves. Like, not, you know, it just feels like it's, like, a mental disorder, but not officially. So, I don't know. But... I've got a great way to cleanse the palate of a deceased baby. And it is our next guest because you are just (laughs) in for such a treat. I'm so excited about our guests. You guys, our guest today is truly, I mean, we say prolific all the time, but the definition of prolific, like you can't stop this. When you scroll this man's IMDb, it just goes on forever. Your, Your thumb will get a cramp. You might recognize him from TV shows like Silicon Valley, The Goldbergs, Californication, and so many others. But you... If you're me, he is most memorable to you as Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. And you know him today as a pedophile who was wrongly framed for a different crime, Edwin Adelson. Guys, enjoy our beautiful conversation with Stephen Tobolowski. Oh my gosh! This is huge. (laughs) uh, We're like thrilled. I'm like my mind is blown. Like I can't believe we're talking to you. Like you're just so like part of every movie or TV show I've like ever watched in my life. And I just I'm so thrilled you are willing to come on the
1: podcast.
3: It's kind of like mold in our house. It's just everywhere. There's moisture. (laughs) That's me. It's everywhere.
1: But before we get into full SVU stuff, since you are so prolific, what do people stop you on the streets from? Do people, what are the things you're most uh, recognized from?
0: Yeah, like I really need to know how many people call you Ned Ryerson on like a daily basis. Well, that's
3: <laughs> the one good thing about the pandemic. Because, you know, with, with the uh, mask on, a lot of people, you know, they, they go like, is that Ned? I don't know. <laughs> but usually at least one or two people a day spot me as Ned. And those people inevitably say, has anyone ever said, are you Ned? And I say, (laughs) yeah, like about 30 minutes ago. But (laughs) what what I do now is because my career over time has become so varied, uh, when people come up to me and they go like, you, I know you, you were from, and then I have to do a quick Terminator scan of the person <laughs> and see like, who is this person? What am I going to say? So if I see a tattoo and I, I'll go like, yeah, Californication. I played <laughs> Stoop Eggs in Californication. If I see like a nerdy t-shirt, I go, yep, Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah Jack Parker, yeah. Silicon Valley. And, and if they're just, you know, mom and dad and their kid going, I go, yep, it's Ned. But <laughs> the, the best one I ever got, the best one I ever gotten. I've gotten it twice now, twice which is remarkable. I was in a movie line in California, and someone turned around and said, excuse me, are you the voice of the calculator in The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars? And I go, yes, I was the voice (laughs) of the calculator in Brave (laughs) Little Toaster Goes to Mars. And now in my career, I've had two people come up to me and go, my God, I'm finally meeting that you. That
2: is the
0: so The voice funny. of the
3: calculator and Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars. My little kid just loved that movie. We watched it 500 times a day, and you're the calculator.
0: That's the thing. I mean, I'm a mom, and I feel like if I heard somebody on the street that was from, like, the Paw Patrol movie, I'd be like, excuse me. Like, I would know it.
3: <laughs> and I've done Paw Patrol. Ah! <laughs> I have done Paw Patrol. I did their Christmas show. I play some kind of elf on Paw Patrol.
0: Oh my God. So yeah,
3: so this this Christmas season, be watching that Paw Patrol <laughs> I and be will listening. Be. You know I will be, be listening oh for the Wayward God. Elf.
0: <laughs> I love it. I mean, it must be so. Ho- That's funny that you're able to do like a scan because it's like you have over 280 credits on IMDb. I'd be like, if someone was like, "Where do I know you from?" I'd be like, "Take out your IMDb app. I don't have time for this." Like, you
1: know, you've just like has done anyone so much recognize you from Freaky Friday?
3: Oh, God, yes. Okay. <laughs> Freaky Friday. Mr. Bates and Freaky Friday. And and I go, Abs- absolutely, absolutely. I, I even got one Clayton Townley, head of the Ku Klux Klan, you know, from Mississippi Burning. Are you oh, wow. Clayton Townley, head of the Ku Klux Klan? And I go, well, in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> it was fiction. Well, not fiction, but it was. You know.
1: Yeah, not me. Um, now, are you? You've got to be an offer only type guy, right? Are you still out there auditioning, or people are knocking I, I, down your
3: door? I haven't. I well, neither. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last few jobs I've gotten, I I have not been, I have not auditioned for, you know, they were offers, but I don't know if I'm an offer only guy. I I would tell my agents, Hey, you know, if I'm sitting around for a couple months, Hey, I'd be happy to audition. No, no, no. You know, But I don't really know what the situation is, but I'd just leave that to them. And and fate and just if somebody asks me to do something and it, I'm available and it's something I want to do, I'll do it.
1: Right. Because I'm also, I, I bet you're someone when people write a script, they go like a Stephen Tablowski type.
3: Listen, like, listen, <laughs> listen, this is this is what really hurts. It really hurts. <laughs> yeah. I, I had, I was going through a dry period as actors often do. And a friend of mine, uh, Joel Rudnick was an agent for, I think, uh, I forget what now, but uh, APA, I think APA. And uh, Joel called me up and said, you won't believe this. I'm reading the, the breakdown here. And it says, dad, looking for a Stephen Tobolowski type. Uh. So I called up my agent and I go, hey, guys, I just want you to know what's in the breakdown here. And they said they're looking for a Stephen Tobolowski type. My agent said, you're not right for the part. <laughs> I said that's impossible. I'm Stephen. They said they want to ste- look, we'll get you an audition, but you're not right for the part. So I went in audition, did not get a call back, and my agent said, "Told you, not right for the part."
1: Oh my god. So gosh. what do you think that is?
3: I have no idea, but it hurt deeply. Yeah. yeah you know, I I just did a movie with with Chris Pine, uh oh, which which excuse me, was it could be really wonderful. And and you know, the script was off the charts, one of the best scripts I'd read. And it was a terrific part. And they just wanted to, Chris just wanted to talk to me. And so we met on Zoom and we talked about the script and the name of the character in the movie was Stephen Tagaroski, <laughs> head of the LA City Council, Stephen Tagaroski. And I'm reading the script, and I go, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Stephen, I mean, come on, guys. So I had a great talk with Chris. We talked about the part and all the different beats of the part. And then the next day, I heard nothing. Then a week later, get a call from my agent. Stephen, got good news. You're still in the running. I go, still in the running? (laughs) For Steven Tagoroski, at least they could change the name of the guy. (laughs) I mean, that would really cut deep. But I did get the part, thank goodness. Good. Oh, good. Yes, yes.
1: Amazing. Especially since you like the script. And Chris Pine is a hottie.
3: Well, he's not only a hottie, but he's a goodie. He's (laughs) a goodie and a hottie. I mean, he's a wonderful actor, wonderful director. And uh, the movie's called Pool Man. And I, I can't wait to see it come out because it will be cool man. Pool Man. Cool. man, And it will be very strange. It, it reminded me of old uh, Robert Altman kind of films and kind of an altered reality. And um, I, got, I got hopes on it. You know, it, it made me laugh. It moved me. It, it, it's a strange movie, so I'm hoping it's good.
1: Well, you know, you said the feelings you got reading this Chris Pine script. When you got this Bullseye episode of Law and Order SVU, what kind of feelings did you have about your character,
3: and what kind of time you you remember? Because
0: we know it was a long time ago. (laughs) It was a long
3: time ago, but I (laughs) remember when when the first Law and Order thing I did was Criminal Intent. But when I Bullseye was the first SVU show I did, and when I read that, I went like, "Oh my god." This is terrific, and my son was a huge SVU fan. My oh, son was, cool. and I was more of the classic Law and Order fan. You know, mm-hmm. I've now I've seen every one of them five hundred times. So Robert gave me a picture of Chris and Mariska, you know, like a eight by ten kind of thing, and said, uh, "Dad, when when you go do this, can you get them to sign this for me?" Oh my god, and I go, I love Sure. That. So I started watching some SVUs. And I went like, oh, well, they kind of took the idea. Law and Order always has a kind of twist in it, and they multiplied it by about three. And so when I read the script of Bullseye, I went, oh, now they've multiplied it by four. (laughs) And I had no idea even reading the script where it was going to end up and where it was going to turn. So I, I was thrilled to do this, first of all, for my son, Robert. Yeah. And then because I'm reading the script and I go, wow, this, this is real. Because they had me going. And, and I thought the twists and turns were, were not cheapies. You know, they were, mm-hmm. they were the kind of things that happen in, in this kind of a crime. But I, w- I was thrilled. I, I do have a kind of weird origin story about this episode of SVU. Is, yeah. is that okay?
2: No. Oh, of course. course.
3: Uh, That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, the, the people who, who, who know about Law & Order SVU, you know, it's shot all over the place. Uh, our, our costume area at that time for Bullseye was in New Jersey. That's where, and that's where the bull, the cop bullpen is. That's where the jail cells were. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's kind of where Mariska would interrogate you if you were going to be in a room with the glass. Pa- that would be in their sets in New Jersey, and on Chelsea Piers in Lower New York, uh, you know, around Twentieth Street or whatever on Twelfth Avenue, way over by mm-hmm. the water is where they have the courthouse. So you know, you shoot the courthouse there, and then. In, in the process of, of the show, the various locations I had were my house was on the Upper West Side. I end up committing suicide in Harlem. So, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be all over the city. And so the idea of coming to New York to do a Law & Order show, which I loved from criminal intent, because you're always working with the best of the best. When you do a Law & Order show, it's just the way it is. Mm. Maybe it's because it's a machine, but it is a well-oiled machine. <laughs> it, You know, everybody knows what they're doing so well. So I was thrilled, and they put me up at some snazzy hotel on Central Park South, where, you know, the first one is the plaza, and I was not at the plaza, but I was down there, a really snazzy hotel. They brought me in, and the only thing I really had to do that day was to go to New Jersey for costume fitting. That's all I had to do. So I thought, I am in the Big Apple. I am going to embrace the city with, with all the gusto I have. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to take my script. I'm going to go out to one of the little breakfast joints they have here in New York City that, that are everywhere, Greasy Spoon, and study my script and all this kind of stuff. And if the hustle and bustle of New York, I came out of the hotel. So I'm on uh, Central Park South and like about 8th Avenue, kind of over there. And there's nobody anywhere. The city is deserted. And I'm going now, I feel like I'm in a science fiction movie. I mean, there wasn't even a lot of traffic. (laughs) I I could hear cars somewhere, but there was no one on the street. So I start walking down the avenue downtown, looking for one of the many uh, breakfast joints there are in New York. And all the breakfast joints are gone. And I know this is sounding like a dream of some sort, but they all got replaced by Starbucks. All those cute little (laughs) breakfast places were all gone. And I walked down about six blocks. And then over on the right, there is a place that looks like they would serve eggs. And it's like eight in the morning, something like that now. And I go in and you, you walk up to the cash register and the Host, hostess is there at the cash register to seat you. And I get going, and there's a tap on my shoulder as I'm going, and I turned around and it's Chris Maloney. Oh my God. <laughs> I go, what? Now I feel like I'm in some kind of a dream. And I turn around, and I go, Chris? He goes, so, uh, and then he sees the script and laughs and he goes, you know, I, I'm not working this morning. Want to rehearse? And I wow. said, you've got to be kidding. So Chris and I sat down, had breakfast together, and rehearsed our scenes in this deserted coffee shop and this deserted part of New York City. It was like a miracle. It, if it had been a Hallmark movie, wow. it would have been, I would have been wearing the red dress. It was, well,
0: I wonder what he was even doing there, like in that part of Manhattan on his day off. Well, he lives on the Upper West, I think.
3: Yeah, he was he was gonna be he was gonna be going in later for work, but he had the morning free and thought he would just do a little jogging or some little exercise. But and we sat down and while we were working uh on the scene, we went I think I had a couple couple scenes with Chris. While we were reading through the different scenes, he started musing about theater. And he said, So do you do a lot of theater in Los Angeles? And at the time, I I did. I said, yeah, yeah, my wife and I were both involved in theater. He said, I miss it so much. He says, I love the show. I love doing the show. But when you do the show, you really can't do anything else. Even like have a life. You can't. You know, it's constant. He said, I may be out in Los Angeles next year. And if you're working on a play or if something comes up, give me a call. And I'll do it. And I'll do it for free. You don't have to pay me. Wow. It's just, it's just, I'm a theater actor first. And when you do this, you get this hunger, this loss for doing the theater. And I'd love to get back in it. And I said, absolutely, Chris. Absolutely. You know, we're involved with uh, some of the theaters downtown. I, I said, mm-hmm. I'm sure they would, you know... Kiss the hem of your garment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was like uh, an amazing moment uh, to start working on that show. And that's time. so
0: funny because that ended up being his last season on the show.
3: Yep. So it sounds
0: like he was having a hankering to do some different stuff. And, you know, you were hearing about it.
3: Yes. And when I got back to Los Angeles and I was telling uh, some of the people about Chris, you know, maybe coming out and we should be looking for a play that could use him uh in that and of course <laughs> as, soon, as soon as he came out to LA he got another show yeah. you know <laughs> so that's what true blood or something like that what it, it, oh
0: yeah he was on true blood for a little while yeah, yeah
3: so as soon as he hit the ground there you know they're going to snatch him up yeah. i mean there there're very few uh, certifiable television stars and he's one of them he's also whether on tv or film or theater a great actor so, mm. so you know, he translates, but, you know, he's going to get snatched up. He just that's is.
0: Fu- that's <laughs> so fun. Thanks for telling us that because we don't get as many stories about Maloney. Like a lot of people like have interactions with Mariska, but they yeah. don't necessarily like it sounded like in the 12 seasons he was on the show, he kind of did his own thing. And nice to hear a little Maloney story. But you got to do so much in this episode. Like you get an interrogation, you get a courtroom scene, you get to, you get your butt kicked in a holding cell. And then you just get to draw, I mean, minute per minute of what the action that you get to do. You're not on, you're not in the episode for, for too, too much. And you get to do a lot.
3: I, if you have an SVU checklist, I got (laughs) to do all the stuff. I got arrested on the Upper West Side. Yes. I got the perf walk in front of my wife yeah, You know, and of course, when you're doing it on the Upper West Side, there are people out there that are just people. And they, at first, they don't know. I mean, there's the, the cameras and there's all that, but they just see me coming out. Uh, right. With, with, with And they think, oh, my God, is there a police action here? Oh, no, it's an <laughs> SVU action here. So I got perf walked on the Upper West Side. I got blown up in Harlem. I got beaten up by. I got punched out in the jail cell. <laughs> I, 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 you know, they had to do uh, makeup on me to have like cuts and bruises yeah. on my face. I got to go to Chelsea Piers and 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 be in the courthouse. Everything you could do on a Law and Order show, I got to do in Bullseye.
0: You know, sometimes I say there's episodes that feel like movies. There's like a few episodes of SVU that really feel like movies, and I think this is one of them. Like I were. Like, the guy, like, just the big twist at the end
1: feels
3: like a movie to me. Yes, yes. Yes, you don't really see that coming.
1: Yeah. And then you're back on season 20. You come back as an attorney. How was that experience?
3: Oh, that was great as, uh... Kamen, what was my name? Uh, yeah,
0: something like that. You were a lawyer for, I, you know, a sex offender, essentially.
3: I, I, I remember, I remember uh, Cayman because a Cayman is a South American crocodile, right? And, oh. and you know, I read, I read the script and I go, oh, now I get to play the smart Alec defense attorney. And yes. by this point, when I come back to do Law & Order SVU the second time, it was like old home week. And, mm-hmm. and it had been many years in between. But it's, again, here's an example that maybe the people don't understand. Courtroom scenes, right? When you're a defense attorney, you are going to be in the courtroom. Like courtroom scenes on television shows are the hardest things to shoot. Why is that?
1: Uh, because of all the coverage.
3: Because they're in the courtroom. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, you're right. All oh, the okay. coverage. Because you have to shoot you you have to shoot uh different sizes. First of all, the witness usually get that. And while you're in that direction, then you turn the cameras and you get the jury, and then you have to pick out individual jury me- jury members. Then you have to turn to the defense table and you have to get that lawyer. That was me, and also the my client. Then you have to go to the prosecutors. They all get one. Then you finish on the judge. It takes forever, (laughs) except on Law & Order SVU. On Law & Order SVU, we did a four-page. Four pages is a lot for for people who don't know page counts. If you do a television show, you are tooling if you do 10 pages a day. If you do 10 pages a day, that's like On a movie, you do one to two pages a day. So we did a four and a half page courtroom scene in like two and a half, three hours.
1: No, wow,
3: it was amazing to watch. And again, it's because the people who work on Law and Order and Law and Order SVU, they are the best. And I've and I've worked on shows where people are the best. Like I've done a few years on The Goldbergs. It's another group of people who are the best in terms of crew. They know how to shoot it. They know where to put the camera. They know where to put the lights. It's boom, 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 shoot. And as actors, you're not waiting a ton of time in between shots. So that was great. Um, But again, it was a lot of fun. I spent a lot of my time this time, of course, with Mariska and uh, lots of time with her. And she is fantastic. And when you work with People who end up doing a part for a long time, a certain malaise sets in, where they kind of go on automatic and they don't really. They kind of give it what they have, and it's good enough. Good enough. Good enough is not part of Mariska's being. It's not part of it. It's in in this episode. I had. I think two scenes with her, maybe three. And she's always working on the part in the scene and she's always working with you. How does this work, Stephen? What if, what if I come at it with this? What if I do it with an intensity? And it's as if it were the first time. And if somebody says, what does it take to be uh, a star on television? That's what it takes. You have to be able to have every day be the first day. With the excitement that she has and the the and not only that, what's really hilarious, you know, we're we're working that time in all the familiar Law and Order buildings down in that area of New York City. The courthouse, the courthouse steps that we know from the regular law and all all the iconic sets of every Law and Order show. And I'm walking to the set with Mirishka and down the sidewalk in New York, and policemen who are uh, working, directing traffic here, there, and everywhere, they look and they go, morning, morning, how are you? How are you? And they're looking at her as one of their own. (laughs) Not as a movie star, not as a television star, but as one of their own. And the respect she gets from everyone around her, and it's because she treats everyone so well, Again, it's part of the best, 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 best. Yeah, you know when you work on those shows where people are the best, it's hard to be the best when it's when the work is that hard and you're that successful. It's easy to get lazy, but she wasn't ever.
1: And it's hard. You yeah. can't really. I I don't think the show would work if you half-ass it because it's so dramatic and it's like all of these victims and all the guest stars are giving so much and crying and like. You need someone that's going to show up for everybody.
3: You need someone who's going to show up. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, uh, and, and again, when I was doing the second show, you had the whole other cast. You, you, you know, the, the, not the cast that I knew from the first show. Chris was gone at that point. You have new DAs, new people mm-hmm. working in the police department. All of them were fabulous. Yeah. And and I wonder if it's just part of the show. Yeah,
0: and I wonder if Mr. Kamen can make a return. I mean, yeah, you, you we could need be, you back. Well, you could be another another dirtbag's defense attorney at some hey, point.
3: Yeah, now, in this, I wasn't really quite a—I was ready to be a dirtbag, but in this, I kind of side with the judge going like, these people are from Missouri. You know, you know, they're, you know. (laughs) Well, that's
0: what's so, like, you to me are such a comedy actor. I know you've done it all. But, like, what I know you from is so much comedy. Like, you just really make me laugh. And so, even when you got, like, I didn't think you were funny as um, the character in Bullseye. Like, that was obviously more serious. But in this one, even as this defense attorney, when you go up to, like, give the marriage license and you're like... Yeah, they're married in Missouri. I was just like laughing so hard, even though it's like wrong. Like this this man should not have married a 13-year-old stepdaughter, but I was like, this is too funny. You just cracked me up. So I guess I'm just telling you that and that there's no question. But do you have like a, do you have a, not like a preference, but do you like lean into trying to do stuff that's not comedy because you've done more comedy or do you, you've done it all, but like, you know, what is it? When you're drawn to a role, is it like you love the comedy, you love the drama, what?
3: Well, since you're both, since you're both comedians, both comedians, I, I bring up from my wall of crap, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite books. Let me see if I, I got this. Yes. The book is Sigmund Freud, Jokes and the Relationship to the Unconscious. Ooh. And it is, it is a series of lectures Sigmund Freud did in Munich in 1915 on comedy, on comedy. And he said, what I'm going to do is, and you got to read this book. You would love it as comedians. You would love this book. He has jokes. And he said, I'm not going to analyze jokes that exist now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take jokes from a generation or two past to where the Actual principles of the joke don't exist anymore, so you could see what the workings of the joke are. And so he had jokes in there about matchmakers and bill collectors and all sorts of things, uh, the village idiot and all this stuff from the 1800s. And his conclusion is that comedy is making the meaningful meaningless or making the meaningless meaningful. Mm, and when you, that. Do, when you do the one of those two things, uh, you are able to turn a moment into comedy. So in terms of law and order as Mel Kamen, we're obviously in a meaningful situation. Because my client, honest what maybe murder, right? You know, is on the way to jail or some sort of thing. I'm defending him. And so if you take that meaningful situation and slip a bit of meaningless into it on a Innocent line, your honor he's from Missouri <laughs> that it makes the meaningful meaningless and it creates comedy so i I don't try to think well let me how can I be funny, but I take a look at what is the meaningful nature of the situation, and how can and is it appropriate for for me to make light of the situation by making something meaningful meaningless at this time mm-hmm. and and uh so that's a, that's a good indicator. That's a great but, lesson. But I don't. I'm going to take that. Yes. I, I don't uh, look like, how can I make this funny? I just usually try to tell the truth. And if the situation uh, is ridiculous and I take it seriously and am truthful about it, it'll come out funny. And if the situation is not serious, you, you know, you, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. You just, you just make the meaningful, meaningless or meaningless, meaningful.
0: Yeah. You've been like acting for so long and you, like we said, you have so many credits you've done, you've done it all. Like, do you have any, what are like, what's the Stephen Tobolowski like big advice tips on how you stay sane in this business?
3: Oh, I don't know. It's how you stay sane, but, but it's like the, the easiest tip to give someone is to say yes, to say yes and not worry about where it's going to lead. Uh, I said yes to doing the principal on the Goldbergs. It was their second season. They weren't offering me much money. I said, yes, it's okay. I was doing two other shows at the same. I was doing uh, big time in Hollywood, Florida, I think at that time, which was hilarious. Uh, and, and I just said yes. And I ended up on the show for, what, eight seasons. Mm. Uh, you know, in each, each season, you know, I had a lot, you know, I think I've ended up doing like 40 episodes or or something all because I said yes to this two line part of the principle. And, and so just say yes, uh, be on time. Oh, that's the biggest thing in the world of people who are late be on time because I've seen people, not fired for being bad actors, but I've seen them fired for being late because you are keeping 50, 60, 70 people on the hook if you don't show up on time. Yeah. So be on time. Be nice to to everybody. Here's a be nice to everybody story that's very quick but very amazing. When I was doing Groundhog Day, our scene, that first scene with me and Bill, was first up, first day. And of course, I was nervous as can be. And I had to, everything had to be exactly the same. And it would be the same throughout the whole movie. Every time we shot that scene, I had to start on the same foot. I had to step on the same spot on the street and go, oh, Phil, Phil, with the same finger. Turn my finger down. It's me, Ned. And I had to run up to him, Ryerson, take off my hat, exactly the same, because it's the same day repeated. So they had an assistant director. Uh, It was his first job, uh, a kind of lower AD, and his job was to kneel in the street, hold his finger up, and when my foot touches the right brick, because he's off camera, he would do this, like there. And that was my cue to turn. So I'm just walking straight, kind of toward him, and he's off camera, and then he's like, that was his job. And that's when I... My my right foot landed on the brick. I turned, oh, fail, fail, each time he was there. That person, Jim Kettlewise, who ended up being my producer on Silicon Valley. Wow. So, you know, just because the guy's pointing at the brick today right. doesn't mean he's <laughs> going to be pointing at the brick tomorrow. You know, and it's one reason why Peter on the SVU uh, show, you know, Bullseye, Uh, Peter Leto, was such a great, 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 great director of that. Like, boom, 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 boom. Because you take a look at his resume. He's been 3rd AD, 2nd AD, 1st AD. He had worked every angle on that set before he became a director on that show. Same thing was true in Californication. Uh, A lot of the people who began as... You know, ads on this thing work their way up, and they ended up directing. It, it's, it it is. Uh, if you treat people okay and are competent, you have ability for upward movement.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking it all in. Yeah, Steven, thank you this, so much.
0: Do you, do you have anything? We oh, yeah. want to let you get on with your day, but do you have anything that you want our listeners to check out besides Pool Man? That's what you talked about before
3: here is something I just finished. This is something I just finished like a week ago. I did, for the first time in my career, a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yes. And it's called (laughs) Hauling Out the Hive, Hauling Out the Ivy. No, no, Hauling Out the Holly. holly, Hauling Out the Holly. (laughs) And it's going to play Saturday night, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. At 8 o'clock, and the thing that you— Even if you don't like— I like Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, My wife doesn't. You know, so we get in bed. She wants to watch Forensic Files. I'm going, (laughs) no. I want to watch the— You're not going to get a nightmare from the Hallmark Christmas movie. What I never knew about the Hallmark Christmas movie, and this is one reason you could watch and just uh, be amazed by it, because I always thought what they did is they went to an area where— You take a little bus up to a little area where there's snow and they set up the set and you just do it. No. We shot the thing in a place called Sandy, Utah, which is about 30 minutes from Salt Lake City. Yeah, It was 103 to 112 or 13 degrees every day. But if you're in the Hallmark Christmas movie, you have to wear winter clothing. And so it's that hot outside. Then you put on Layers of clothes, like the shirt, you put on this, then you put on a sweater, then you put on a vest, then a coat, then a hat, then the earmuffs and the gloves in oh 108 God. degrees. Why? And they, put, they have white cloth on the ground, and they're going to CGI in the snow later. And then they put fake snow on the trees that are just in the background of the shot, and they shoot an entire movie in two and a half weeks, an entire movie, and... I think the reason they do it, and I saw it now on the Food Channel last night for a carving, Halloween magical pumpkins, the pumpkin carving show on the Food Channel. Uh-huh. I'm, I see it, and I go like, "Wait a minute, that looks like the Hallmark movie technique," because <laughs> they have the judges all dressed up in the suits and everything like that, but they weren't as they weren't as meticulous uh, about the the people who are carving their pumpkins, and I'm going like. Wait a minute, that guy's in a t-shirt. What? And all the judges <laughs> are in the heavy gloves and all this stuff. And then I'm seeing, oh, and there's no, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the suspiration of breath, you don't see it. You know, in the Hallmark movies, even the extras, they had to wear hat and glove. It was amazing. And <sighs> everybody did it with joy and everybody, but it is something to watch. And and this particular movie will be Quite amusing, I think.
0: Amazing. Hauling out the holly. Stephen, this has a been dream. like an absolute um, thank treat. You. Thank you so much for talking to us.
3: Well, well, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. And uh, and I thank you, Sigmund <laughs> Freud. Uh, yes. Sigmund We're gonna Freud. to look it up. Look him, look him up.
1: Yes. We really
0: made it. <laughs> I love him. I yeah. love him so much. Yeah, he was awesome. I just, he seems like just and like— And remembered you, a lot, had a lot yeah. to say. You'd like, see him on a set and you'd be like, Tobolowsky. Like, I feel like you'd be like, I'm having a
1: good day now, you know? Like, he's a that great— And Stabler story of them like rehearsing is so cute. Uh, I just love it. I just really love it all.
0: In a deserted Manhattan diner? I love that. All right. Our postmortem for bullseye. No one is
1: trying to help. So don't trust men that are trying to help, they are guilty. Yeah, they are trying to get away with something or they're trying to kidnap you. Like this is Yeah, that's such a good point. It's like, yeah, the it's always like the person that's leading the
0: anti-whatever league is like into that thing. Like we talked about it, but like, you know, Republicans that are like, "No, the gay agenda." And then they're like tapping a toe underneath the bathroom stall. Like it's always these fucking people hiding their own things
1: and ugh but also what a good lesson. Yeah. If someone doesn't want to fuck you, they're a pedophile. <laughs> so that's a good No, too. if somebody
0: doesn't want to fuck Olivia Benson,
1: they're yeah. a pedophile.
0: <laughs> yeah. Truly. <laughs> <100%. laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I guess also I would say Oh, if
1: someone says their sister's dead, they're not. They're alive and they're hiding <laughs> and they're in Delaware. Their sister that's is the never dead. That is the fucking lesson. No one right has there. a said dead sister. They're all not on the run. Person.
0: Um, they're on uh, the run. But also from the beginning of the episode, like, Jesus, chill out with the video games. Like, don't have a vid- don't play a video game where you're raising a child while your daughter is eating pizza crust underneath the stairs or whatever. <laughs>
1: like,
2: horrible.
0: It's so
1: sad. Yeah, I feel like this is a great red herring. And um, I just thought of another one that I love. Oh, the Italian guy with the disease. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Like these yes. specific diseases. It just like shows how amazing SVU is. But like, I love this red herring more than anything.
0: Well, and that cop, that cop gross delusion or whatever was so interesting. I mean, that is like a very interesting psychological problem to have that you think ever, you think people in your life have been imp- replaced with imposters. Like, wild. Do you think all the people that think that um, Avril Levine has been replaced by an imposter, do you
1: think they have that? that they or all have head injuries. They all have head grass well, delusion. Head injuries can change your personality. Like that sure. is true. Like you can sure. be a different person forever.
0: But you know that theory, right, that Avril Lavigne's fans think that she died in a car accident or something yeah. and has been yeah. replaced by a double? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have I didn't heard know that. about it. I don't think until I went on Tom Takar's podcast about and I did Avril Lavigne. I did wow. the Avril Lavigne episode of that of Tommy Mac and and uh, their podcast.
1: Yeah, it's a really good podcast if you guys want to listen to it called Stand By Your
0: Band. And I stood by Avril Lavigne, the real one and the imposter.
1: I've been on a few times, not to brag, but Who have you done? I did Aqua. I think I did the Backstreet Boys. I did a Jessica Simpson one with with Julia. And then I recently did... Because then I've... Because I didn't... Maybe I've done the Backstreet Boys, but I didn't want to... Submit certain people because I think they're great, and I don't need to stand by them. But the last time I went on, I got to do Miley, even though she is great. But they let me do it, um, and maybe I'll go back again. I'm, I'm oh always yeah, because you're supposed to do people that are like not huge, like well, yeah, Miley. Stand by your band, yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like people. It's like you want to defend people that people are like they suck, not or like really. Dave Matthews yeah, yeah, Band yeah. or something like that. Nickelback,
0: etc. Yeah, I would go on and stand by Dave Matthews Band, but it had been done.
1: Oh, I'm sure. You know me. Sure. You know I'm like crashing to me, baby. I, I love did not the Dave know Matthews that. Band. I meant oh, I'm d- sure it was done. I did not know you were a DMB fanatic.
0: Oh, not a fanatic, but I I love. I've listened to them when I was in high. You know, you just get attached to shit. You listen to it like when you were 16 to 19. Like I feel like that's a lot of what people are into musically. And so I liked Dave Matthews. I don't know why they got this reputation for like being douche music. I think because some of the people that listen to it are douches. But I do like the music, you know? I haven't listened to it. I haven't bought any new albums lately, but, you know, the classics. Anyway, how did we get here in our postmortem? We're done. i so was you know,
1: I'm going to see Muna again, so stay tuned to a future episode oh, to yeah. hear my review of concert number two.
0: I can't wait. I can't wait. Now I want to go see them. Um, But okay, let's get into What Would Sister Peg Do? Our weekly segment where we direct you to an organization, a book, an article, something to help flesh out a little bit of what we talked about on this week's episode. Um, I didn't really think that there was much uh, to be held in the guy who pretends to be like a vigilante but really is a pedophile. So I decided to go with the real true crime that we based it on. And um, I'd like to point you guys to a website called healthygamer.gg. I don't know why GG is the dot com of it all, but... There it is. And they have an article that I just wanted to point people to that's called What Are the Signs of Video Game Addiction? I think we like laugh at this, at this like episode a little bit. Like, wow, these crazy people are like neglecting their child. But I do think people can get too, into so into video games that it, affects their life. So the site helps identify the common signs of video game addiction as well as the differences between a habit and a full-blown addiction. You can also find resources on that website to help you with the addiction and um, like getting paired with one of like a coach who can assist you in getting your life back. And the link to the article is in our show notes and will as always be in our uh, Instagram stories the day the episode comes out and then saved forever in our
1: WWSPD highlight. Thank you so much. And next week, we're going to be doing the episode Harm, season nine, episode five. So get with it, watch it, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us
0: to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessduppod at gmail.com.
1: Follow the podcast on Instagram at that's messed up pod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please
0: see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Cotner.
1: And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song, and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at
0: Exactly Right Media. Dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.